Welcome. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOT, and joined by the world's newest father. We got my guy close <laughs> to stop. Take over I don't think I'm the world's say. newest father. <laughs> well, closest like to new. <laughs> closest to new. You know what I mean. No. Uh his name is Cody Saptic. You guys can follow him at CJ Saptic on Twitter. And we are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 62, which is headlined by a women's flyweight bout between Alexa Grasso and Viviani Araujo. The UFC abandoned us last weekend, but we are back for stri- six straight weekends of UFC events before we get our next break. But uh, this is a, a decent appetizer in terms of a full card um, from a, from an overall perspective, not just the main event. I know people are going to shit on the main event because you know they probably could have done Brandon Roy Val and Askar Askarov instead. But from the whole card, just to get fights finally back into our life, I'm okay with this card. But it's obviously an appetizer for UFC 280, which is the big, big card next week. But Cody... Two weeks being a father now, we got to know as MMA fans and viewers of the show, how has it been treating you? Are you getting enough sleep? Is it what you thought it would be? Is it worse? Is it better? What is how? how give us your quick thoughts on what it's been like being a father for the last two weeks. Yeah, so it's basically like fighting Darren Elkins, right? At first, you're just kind of going through the motions and you're like, yo, this isn't that bad. And then all of a sudden, you're just like, man, my arms feel real heavy. Man, my legs feel so heavy, man. Man, I'm getting so tired. Why am I so tired? It's a slow burn of a grind. And yeah, I mean, listen, some nights you get some okay sleep, but you're waking up at two and five and eight and 10 and just hours start to get jumbled all over the place. But whatever, I, I, I'm not complaining. As I was telling Paul yesterday, I'm also matchmaking a couple of MMA shows. So I'm trying to get a guy's visa done and I'm trying to get a guy's medicals. And uh, I got Wallel Watson on the car. You remember him? Yes, he oh, veteran yeah. or fight wow, with the, the distance with TJ Dillashaw. Yeah, yeah, I know. He doesn't go by the gazelle no more. He goes by the pharaoh. But he used to be Wallel the gazelle. I don't know what changed. Okay. Um, he's actually uh, AJ McKee Jr.'s like BJJ coach. He's one of the coaches at the mm-hmm. gym. He corners him for his fights. So he's going to come down and fight. But so much loopholes and shit, man. The guy's got, got to prove that he can get passed by a neurologist because he's coming off two back-to-back TKO losses and in Ontario that warrants an automatic 180-day medical suspension and just so much bullshit, right? So I got a kid. I'm messaging guys at weird hours. I'm getting messages back at weird hours, uh, grinding. I don't know. It's just like like everything. Like Work's just been like so hectic in the terms of like I got a million things to do, but I don't know. I feel good. I might be overtired, but uh, (laughs) as a result, it's like everything's funny and I'm feeling pretty okay. I love it. I love it. And and just a quick reminder, when is that show that you have coming up? uh, And it's Toronto, right? I believe it's at Rebel Nightclub, if I'm not mistaken. It's at Rebel Nightclub. It's on a Thursday, Thursday, November 17th. Basically, Rebel Nightclub's like super popular spot in the city. And they're like booked pretty solid for a lot of Fridays and Saturdays. I think Future's playing. Not that I don't even know who the fuck Future is for the record, but somebody has told me he's playing like two days after, I think. So it's a like a hot spot and fights are going to look awesome there. The problem is Unified, which is like Canada's top show coming to Ontario. BTC, yeah. which is like Ontario's longest running promotion, having a show in December. PFC, which they're back after the two-year-long layoff, and a banger of a car that they're putting on. Yeah, so it's like, okay, now you've got four MMA shows running in an eight-week span. Unified's putting guys under contract. BTC's putting guys under contract. What's little Cody going to get remaining to to fight? But, you know, I pulled a couple strings. I've pulled out the old Rolodex and called out some people, and I got a good-looking car together. Thing is, is I'm 35 days out, so I'm just, like, waiting for someone to call and 
I, I, I get such bad luck, bro. Guy fails his fucking stress test day uh, was back <laughs> two days out, I think. Like, such, you know how it is, bro. Like, expect yeah. the unexpected. So, as of right now, I'm just hoping the card holds together because it's like a pretty dope looking show. Uh, but again, it's just like you're competing with all these other promotions in the area. It's it's a lot easier when you're the UFC. You're like, yo, take this fight or don't take this fight. But exactly. if you don't take this fight, I'm gonna ice your motherfucking ass. You're not gonna fight all year. <laughs> so you're like, ah, I might as well take the fight. Whereas like we can't do that. It's like, hey no. man, you want to fight this guy? They're like, uh, let me take it to BTC and I'll see if they'll offer yeah. me more money for an easier guy. And then BTC offers them more money and an easier guy, and they're like, eh, let me take it over to PFC and they'll give me more money than that and an easier guy. Like, <laughs> well, it's fucked. It's fucked. And they all know each other and they don't want to fight. So what it, whatever. It's, it's honestly it's honestly really cool to hear that there is so many MMA promotions in Ontario because for years and years we've struggled to maintain any sort of hold with uh, regional MMA out here in Ontario. Obviously, we know a lot about that working with Substance Cage Combat back in the day, scores fighting series and all that. But now to have four shows in Toronto in the span of eight weeks, absolutely amazing. And I'm looking forward to being at the vast majority of those, especially at uh, the one that you're going to be doing a Thursday night. I really don't mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm down with the Thursday night show as well, uh, just to go out there and check it out too. So if anybody's in the Toronto area, you're getting a full uh, serving of MMA over the next several weeks. So make sure you guys go check that out. All right, Cody, let's just uh, get actually, you know what? I want to quickly give a shout out to uh, the All Star. Uh, as you guys always see at the beginning of the show now, you guys get the, uh, the All Star app. And I had somebody ask me last time around, why doesn't the All Star put their app on Android? Well, it is on Android, folks. Just search in the Google store, the all-star, and you'll be able to download it there. Uh, the link in the description below, I believe, takes you to the uh, iTunes Apple store. So you'll be able to get, if you're an iPhone user, you can go right there and download it as well. But it is one of the best apps out there for MMA, especially if you want to stay on top of the news. Personalized notifications, personalizing the entire setup of it as well is pretty much at your fingertips. And trust me, you're going to want to check out the all-star because uh, they provide great information. And uh, from a betting perspective as well, it's pretty much a one-stop shop for you guys too. So Make sure you guys check that out. And then obviously, just a quick shout out to CloudBet for dropping props for us on the regular special props here for the Prop New Up show that we'll be talking about throughout the card. You guys can sign up on CloudBet. Link is in the description below. All right. Let's not waste any more time. But it seems like Best Fight Odds is bugging out on me. Is it bugging? Oh, wait. There we go. It's finally back up for me. Thank God. First fight of the night, Cody. I can't believe it's going to be the fourth walk to the octagon for Mr. Mike Jackson. He's coming up against uh, Pete Dead Game Rodriguez. In terms of odds, as you would expect, minus 675 on the actual MMA fighter, Pete Rodriguez, and plus 500 the return on the MMA photographer, Mike Jackson. Now, Mike Jackson, we all know how he got his start in the UFC. He was in the CM Punk sweepstakes against uh, Mickey Gall way back in the day. Mickey Gall obviously twisted him up into a pretzel 47 seconds into that fight. Got his shot at CM Punk. Destroyed CM Punk and the UFC's like, you know what? We're going to Chicago soon. Let's get our boy CM Punk back in the cage and let's just let him fight the guy that he probably should have fought from the beginning. The guy with not as much jujitsu experience. The guy with not as much, you know, of a chance of beating CM Punk and Mike Jackson. So they give Mike Jackson another call. He comes to the cage and he actually beats CM Punk. Puts out a pretty good performance. Good striking, takedowns. Good enough game to beat a guy that clearly started MMA way too late in his career. 
Next fight. Comes in against Dean Barry as a plus 600 underdog and wins that fight the only way he probably could have by DQ. He gets kicked in the nuts very, very hard and almost loses the nut by the by his reaction. And then now almost gets his eye gouged out, which was a pretty bad eye gouge. I'll give him that. Uh, you know, Dean Barry's fingers were right up in his eyeballs there. Uh, so I don't blame him for taking that L or or saying that he can't compete after that, but he cashes as a plus 600 underdog. Shout out to anybody that was on the conspiracy train that night and actually cast that as well. But here against Pete Rodriguez, we know what Pete, Pete's good at. He's good at getting in there and getting his opponents out of there ASAP. And I think that's probably what's going to end up happening here. I have no need or no interest at all in playing Pete Rodriguez at minus 675 or minus 700. But his round one is at minus 190, and I think that's probably the best way to play this. That's how he gets his guys out of there. He trudges forward, he lands big shots, he gets them out of there. And although Jackson might have a bit of a reach and length advantage in this spot, and he rolls well with shots at times, I just think it's the explosiveness and speed of Pete Rodriguez, which will eventually catch that chin of Jackson and put him down in this fight. So I'm going to go Rodriguez uh, round one, but like, Anything outside of that, from a live betting perspective, I wouldn't mind a little bit of a sprinkle on Jackson should this fight spill into round two, considering we don't know anything about Pete Rodriguez after round one. And as much as we want to joke about Mike Mike Jackson being a photographer and all that, he does Muay Thai as a hobby, from what I understand. So he's been doing it for years and years. He has decent enough striking to potentially take advantage of somebody that might have gassed themselves out trying to finish him in round one. It's absolutely possible. But I'm not taking that sprinkle myself. At all. I'm just trying to keep an open mind here, Cody. I'm still going to go Rodriguez round one KO. Uh, interested to hear what your thoughts are on this because the, the the prop that you sent me has me scratch my head a little bit. So please lay it on me. What are your thoughts for this matchup? Yeah, well, I just thought it was funny. Like, in what w- world did you ever think he'd be breaking down a UFC fight? And you're like, oh, the guy the guy does Muay Thai as a hobby, so like he's not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, this guy might be fucked. Uh, yeah, actually, I sent you over um, the over one and a half at plus two hundred yeah. now. It's plus 200, so I know it's like, to me, it's just a good enough price. And everyone's expecting this to be a quick finish. And listen, it absolutely might be. But keep in mind that Pete Rodriguez doesn't really have that ground game. I think the best way of taking Jackson out would be to take him down and just absolutely destroy him on the ground. But Pete Rodriguez is more of a stand-up. He's going to be aggressive. He might come at him. You mentioned it with Pete. Look, all of his wins are in the first round, right? All of his amateur wins are basically in the first round. One of them went 50 seconds into the second. Of course, it's an amateur fight. So the round was the first round was three minutes long, yeah. and then he finished in 50 seconds. It's basically three minutes and 50 seconds. Not five, not a real second round. Everything he does is first round knockout. The one loss that he has, sorry, yeah, outside of him being submitted, is that decision, right? The fight goes outside of the round. He gasses out. His own ground game, not all that good. As a pro, same thing. 10 second knockout win. One minute and 25 second knockout win. Subpar competition for the most part. But yeah, he's got big power, no doubt about it. But if he comes in here against Jackson, is he going to just go out and fight how he always fights? Try to knock him out in the first round? Same thing against Jack Della? Get into the, or, or is he maybe going to try to conserve himself? If he conserves himself, yeah, I feel like Jackson's just going to play to the outside. He's only got a one-inch reach advantage, but he's got a five-inch height advantage. He's never been knocked out in his career. We all know his grappling suspect. Yeah, he's a long-rangey kickboxer. And what he did to CM Punk is what he's going to try to do here. Play a long-rangey kickboxing game where he touches you up with a leg kick from the outside and a jab from the outside and move. Now, if if Rodriguez doesn't have great cardio, and he's shown us absolutely nothing to indicate he has good cardio, he has a record very reminiscent of a Lewis Koski or his brother Orion Koski. Like, I, I'm not confident that he's going to be able to fight strong going on to those later rounds. So I feel like Jackson can just be smart in that first and play it super safe, essentially run away, but survive that first, extend the fight. I think he'll be okay. 
That brings me to point number two, right? Why was Mike Jackson such a colossal underdog to Dean Barry's last time? Well, motherfucking Dean Barry's a kickboxing standout, and he's plays with Conor McGregor, and wouldn't you know it, he shows almost exclusive first-round knockout wins. He's a first-round guy. Have you ever seen Dean Barry go beyond the first round? No, no. And as it turns out, he's got shit cardio. Now, he got himself disqualified by eye gouging, not because he needed to eye gouge Mike Jackson, because he was gassing out. He's gassing out, and it was like, man, this fight's not going as easy. The first three and a half minutes, Mike Jackson just needs to survive. And then once his opponent starts to tire, they start to get desperate. So I honestly think he's just going to try to sprint away that first round, survive the first round. Maybe it ends in the second, but I'm thinking it gets over that uh, that that half of into the second. So I, I took the over one and a half at plus 125 and kind of went against the grain on that one. Yeah, for literally the first take I'm hearing on the over one and a half, but it could be a sneaky one, especially if uh, Jackson can survive that first round. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, but hopefully we don't get to see Jackson after this because we, we know it. 37 years old. He does have a man as a hobby. He doesn't really That's have a place scary. on the UFC record, That's man. Scary, but like, click on click on Pete Rodriguez's. Well, of course, he doesn't even deserve to be in the UFC. I'm being so honest. Saying, saying, <laughs> click on his topology. You, have, you got it up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see the picture of him? Yep. Dad bod rod over here, like oh my fuck, hey, you thick boy, you thick boy. Right? Man, I went on his Instagram, I went on his social media, and like him off season is big and thick. Now he gets in there and he smashes a bunch of guys in the first round. It's like that's how he fights, but I'm not entirely sure that he's gonna just be able to go. Mike Jackson's as low as level as it gets. I get that. What you have to realize is as as much of an unpopular opinion as this is, Mike Jackson has been on the UFC roster. For six motherfucking years, dog. Six years he's been on the roster. You don't think he's learned a thing or two? You don't think he's trained a few times? At least he's got that. Now, when you look at his record, it's like, oh, yeah. Well, wouldn't you know it? He's never been knocked out. So how can you say deliberately that he's straight up chinny? I'm not saying he's not chinny, but I'm saying you don't know that for sure. And I don't know. P. Rodriguez has been a pro for two years, right? His amateur career dates back to 2016, the same year that Mike Jackson signed with the UFC. So, like, yeah, you see it time and time again. This guy's better suited for the contender series, right? Where he would have gone on the contender series and tried to pull his little I'll smash you in one round trick. And if it worked, it worked. And if it didn't, it didn't. Uh, as old Harold Howard once said upon time. I don't know. I just I, I could see the kid winning, but at minus 750, the money line, as you mentioned before, it's gone. And then in terms of the popular play is very clearly the under one and a half, the under one and a half. Uh, save that for Jordan Wright, Dusko Todorovich. That's an under <laughs> one and a half. This, this is a shit show. This is a greasy ass fight. Or I could definitely see this over one and a half working out. Because what's Mike Jackson going to do? He's going to go out on his shield and stand and bang? I don't think so, dude. I think he's going to backpedal and move and try to matador the dude that's five foot nine. He's six foot two. Play smart. Use the teep. Use the low leg kicks. Move. Stick and move. That's that's the way to do it. You see guys like Jordan Levitt win fights striking from just stick and move and outpoint the guy. And to that record, Jordan Wright, who's who's James Krause's guy he beat? Worst fight ever. Uh, I just won his next fight in the UFC. Joseph Holmes? No. No, no, no. Jordan Levitt was... Ah, fuck, yeah. Sorry. Oh, Trey Ogden. Trey Ogden. Trey Ogden, Trey Ogden yes, right? Yes, so Jordan yes. Levitt beats Trey Ogden in uh, the world's shittiest fight, just staying to the outside and just using these low kicks and evading. Low kicks evade. Low kicks evade. Nothing's happening, but the judges are like, oh, one guy's uh, outpointing him, right? Trey Ogden's very next fight, he goes out and does the exact same thing against that Zuber, who's supposed to be like the golden boy. This kid's like a super prospect. And he just stayed to the outside, low kicked and moved, low kicked and moved. It's not pretty. It's not going to win you fight of the night. It's not going to get you a bonus. It's not going to grow you a whole bunch of fans. 
but there's an ability to just stay to the outside, hit the guy and stick and move. Mike Jackson is not uh, a Mike Perry type. He's not a, a, a you know, a, a top level guy that's going to stand in the pot. Not, I'm not saying Perry's a top level guy, but a guy that's gritty, you know, a Jeremy Stevens, a, a Nate Landwehr. He's not that kind of fighter. He's a hit you with a shot and get the fuck out of Dodge. And if he does that, I, maybe he could win, sure. But beyond that, I think he could hit that over one and a half. That's all I'm worried about. Plus 200, sign me up. I, I, again, I really don't hate it. I, I don't hate the Mike Jackson stuff uh, or, or takes, especially considering uh, the little that we actually know about Pete Rodriguez's game, especially if he's going to get extended, which he could get here. All right, let's get to the next fight here, Cody. We're going to be talking about the uh, Japanese sensation, Tatsuro Taira, coming in as a minus 245 favorite. He's going up against CJ Vergara, who's a uh, uh, plus 205 underdog. Now, Vergara, no stranger to being an underdog he's pulled off two straight or actually his last two wins he was a big underdog or at least a solid underdog in both of them obviously his contender series went over bruno cohea he was the dog there ices him in 40-ish seconds with a beautiful body shot gets his contract to the ufc takes on Ode osborne in his ufc debut where comes up short but he put up a value and effort in that third round when he finally actually started to fight. You know what I mean? It seems like those first two rounds, you just allowed Ode Osborne to chip away at him from distance, maybe land a couple of takedowns, but it wasn't the most awe-inspiring performance from Osborne either. Then in his next fight, goes out there and beats a hot prospect off the contender series as well in Clayton Rodriguez. I believe it was like a plus 200, plus 250 underdog that night. Uh, really put the pressure on Clayton that night, broke Clayton, forced Clayton to gas out, and he was able to take over the long of that fight when Clayton did have a decent second round where he was able to get top uh top position but same with Vergara. He found himself in top position in certain spots, landing big shots from on top. But he showed that he really had the dog in him, right? Like he has a solid striking background. I believe Muay Thai is his foundation, but he's he's uh, fueling that and powering that with that heart and 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 that durability that he fights with. Now here he's going up against a, a much more complete fighter in Tetsuro Tyra compared to Clayton Rodriguez, right? I think this kid is actually a a combination of Clayton and uh, Ode Osborne and the fact that he can strike from the outside with his length and uses kicks very well. His striking still needs some work in a sense, but like in terms of just maintaining his distance and using his length until he eventually closes that distance and gets the fight to the ground. And that's where I think he can do his best work. So I think he's the better jiu-jitsu player than Clayton Rodriguez. So we'll see better control from him on the mat. And then in terms of the striking, I think he can stay safe enough. Even with that pressure style of CJ Vergara, he should just be able to kick him, keep him, keep him on the outside, and then maybe even counter one one of uh, CJ's combinations with a level change, get that double leg, drag this fight to the ground, or even just get that back, right? He does a good job of something that Nick Maximoff, somebody we're going to be talking about very shortly, does very well, which is uh, change levels, go for a double leg. If you don't get the double leg, chain that into getting a back take. And Tetsuro Tyra has one of the best back takes that I've seen from at least regional tape. Let's see if he can continue doing it in the UFC as well. Now, the reason I took Candelario in Tara's debut is I saw some good things from uh, Candelario from his defensive grappling in prior fights. Where I'm like, okay, he can stay in this fight and possibly put it on the kid. But the kid... Tyra, you know, he showcased some very good things in that fight. Great control. Even when he was giving up control, he was able to get it back or at least do enough on the feet that he could get the fight back to the ground as well. That's what I'm expecting to see here. Vergara, again, has a dog in him. Could be live to some people. Personally, I think we're going to see Tyra go out there and do what Tyra does. I'm thinking a Tyra by decision is probably the spot that I would go with most here. Uh, the line that I'm currently seeing is um, plus... 
plus 120 on the decision prop. Maybe if he can get a combination of decision slash submission, which I think is absolutely on the table here as well, considering how high level of a jiu-jitsu player Tyra is. But uh, yeah, no no upsets tonight or, or this weekend for uh, CJ Vergaro, who you know has gotten accustomed to that. That's not going to happen this time around. I'm going to go with the Japanese fighter by decision, plus 120. What do you think in your Cody? I'm going to take him, and I'm actually going to take him by submission at plus 350. Okay. So I see very that. nice price tag, of course, with Tatsu Tyra. You, you might already mentioned the guy's got excellent jiu-jitsu. He's got excellent submission game. So I think the submission is definitely live. Now, of course, a whole bunch of these first-round submissions, triangle choke, rear naked, all that good stuff, but you basically nailed it. When he's taking on uh, Carlos Candelario, he's taking on a guy that's a veteran in the game who's a BJJ black belt who showed in his contender series fight against uh, R- Ronaldo Candido, who's a high-level BJJ black belt, He's an excellent grappler. So, again, I was on Tara on that fight, but I thought there's no way he subs him. I'd be more of a, more inclined to go with the decision prop on here on that. And you see that he's got an excellent ability to take the back. Same thing with the regional scene. He It flows from transition. And with a guy like CJ Vergara, it's not as if he's some D1 All-American that's going to come out here and stuff all the takedowns. It's not like he's somebody that doesn't overextend himself. He's very much like a Gabe Green. He's effective from being that front-nose pressure type fighter, but he makes all types of mistakes. And with grapplers like this, same thing with like a Ryan Hall, they have an ability to just capitalize on that one mistake and end up on your back. And once they're on your back, that's pretty much the end of the round. If you can defend the submission, great. If not, they will Aljamain Sterling you or Gunnar Nelson you and just body triangle you, hold the back, really nothing you can do for the entirety of the round. In Tara's case, he's only 22 years old. So what you saw in his last fight, which is still pretty impressive, I think you're going to see a more comfortable fighter in there. I think you're going to see a more experienced fighter in there. I think you're going to see him get to those same positions, but all of a sudden have a better idea where he wants to go with them. Now, CJ Vergara is really no disrespect to this guy. I think he's tough. I think he's uh, you know a scrappy type fighter. But I'll never forget, this is going back four years. I'll give him that. But he took on Johnny Bedford's like protege, this Devin Miller. Devin Miller was like 19, 20 years old at the time and just absolutely subbed Vergara like nothing. Rear naked choke 58 seconds into the first round. Blew right through him. And then I thought Devin Miller was going to be the real deal. Never really panned out. Vergara, meanwhile, he did pan out by being tough and aggressive. But what guys has he taken on since then that really try to exploit that ground game on him? We've seen him get taken down by Ode Osborne. We've seen him get taken down by Klitz and Rodriguez. But they didn't have that same clean jiu-jitsu that if they took him down, they could put him in a bad spot. And if he gets in that bad spot, can he survive? So if this was plus 120 for the submission prop, plus 150 for the submission prop, yeah, maybe I'm inching closer towards maybe a decision. But for plus 350 on a situation that's absolutely live, yeah, I mean, I think you go with it. I don't hate it. I really don't hate it. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why it escaped my mind, but uh, plus 350 on that sub prop is actually damn good for sure. Um Especially considering that we both believe that he's going to have a sizable grappling advantage once this fight actually does hit the uh, hit the mat as well. So yeah, I don't I don't hate it. I, I really don't hate it. I, I might actually even change that to my favorite prop now that I'm thinking about it because I for some reason I thought it was like plus one fifty plus two hundred and then just you reminded me now that it's actually plus three fifty. I really don't mind that. Yeah, well, if you can go back and check, because I got the same feeling about this that I had uh, Stephanie Eggers last fight against that Eileen Perez. Right? She was like plus yeah. three fifty on the submission. It was like. Yep. Well, if she's going to win, which is entirely possible, you would think that logic dictates she's probably going to submit her. She's certainly live to submit her, and I think Tara's the same thing. Sure, he went to decision in his debut. UFC debut, 22-year-old kid, seasoned, tough, defensively sound grappler opponent. CJ Vergara makes mistakes, going to get in bad spots. Is he going to have this kid on his back for 15 minutes and survive? I don't know. He's good at surviving sloppy striking exchanges. He's shown us that. Has he been able to survive in, in clean grappling matches? No. 
hasn't really shown you. So unless Taro shows up with bad cardio, I think he's just going to be continues to be looking for something and eventually snag something up. So 350, I think you could do a lot worse on some other prompts. Bang. I love it. I love it. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Uh, we're going to be talking about a women's uh, strawweight belt. This one going down between Piera Rodriguez and Sam Hughes. In terms of odds, we got minus 165 on Rodriguez and plus 140 on Sam Hughes. Now, I'm a big Sam Page fan, right? She's obviously come out and had a couple of very good wins over her last two fights. Obviously, uh, Estela Nunes, she was able to wear that er uh, weather that early storm and then come back and really put it on Estela late. Uh, and then the uh, Elise Reed fight where she was, you know, I don't know why she was the underdog that night, but... Um, uh, she managed to really showcase what people thought Corey McKenna was going to be able to do it against Elise Reed, right? Um, I think people just had way too much confidence on McKenna that night, uh, trying to establish a game plan that she wasn't really the greatest at establishing to begin with. But Sam Hughes is pretty good at that if she's able to have that grappling advantage over opponents, which is what she had that night against Elise Reed. So she shows great things, good striking, good cardio, good pace, good rest. All of that is great. But now that she's fighting a girl like Piera Rodriguez, who has likely has the striking advantage in this fight and has the wrestling to compete with a girl like Sam Hughes and seems to have the cardio to be there as well, the full 15 minutes. I think that this is going to be a tougher out for Sam Hughes than most people are expecting it to be. I'm seeing that chalk come in on the... Uh, uh, I'm seeing that... Uh, sorry, the, the steam come in on the Sam Hughes side. I believe she was like plus 160, plus 170 earlier this week. A lot of money coming in on her, bringing Pierre Rodriguez down. I'm waiting for that money line to keep moving because roughly around minus 150 is likely when I'll take a shot on Piera Rodriguez because I ultimately think she is the better all-around fighter here. Sure, she gave up the first round to um, uh, Kay Hansen, but she was able to make the adjustments that she needed to, and she came back in the second and third rounds and pretty much took over that fight. Sam Hughes, solid fighter. Again, don't get me wrong. I love the work that she's putting in with Fortis MMA. I'm a big Fortis guy. Cody, we've been doing shows for almost two years now, and you always hear me jerking off Fortis MMA. But this is one of those spots where I think that the, the fighters specifically, uh, you know, she might be a little bit underskilled based on the, the opponent that she's going up against here and Pieta Rodriguez. So as most women MMA fights, we expect to go the full 15 minutes. Fight goes to the decision here is minus 280. No surprise. But I think no matter who you end up taking here, you take them by decision, and that's probably the best line that you're going to end up getting. So with Rodriguez, plus 110, plus 120-ish on her to win by decision, I just think she's the better fighter overall here, Cody. What are you thinking? Yeah, honestly, I took the chalk as well. I got minus 275 fight goes the distance, but I think it's going to be a grappling-heavy match where both of them will have some success and other spots where it's just lying flat on your back, but not a whole lot of ground and pound, not a whole lot of submission attempts. Whereas Sam Hughes has really been able to turn up the pressure in her last couple of fights, Estela Nunez was kicking her ass. Yeah. <laughs> and then just like flat gassed. Her coaches at between rounds are like trying to motivate her like to not quit on herself, like Leon Edwards type shit. Like, come on, man, you got to get back in this. And then Nunes completely gasses out. Uh, with Elise Reed, very clean uh, performance, but almost the same thing. Got a couple takedowns, and it looked like Elise Reed just got deflated in that second round and then let her have it. So uh, how much of that is uh, her ground game is really going to the next level and she's got this finishing ability, and how much of that is she's capitalized on a couple opponents getting tired? Piera Rodriguez, she's got good cardio. I'm not particularly worried about that. As you mentioned, lost the first round against Kay Hansen and then really did win the battle of attrition in that spot. So I think they're both durable. I think they both have good cardio. I think they'll both try to exchange takedowns. They'll both try to exchange some strikes. I'm leaning towards Piera Rodriguez. But in both scenarios, this fight very likely is going to decision. Now with Sam Hughes, she's trying to add that wrestling wrinkle to her game. But keep in mind, 
Prior to that, she was known not really for her grappling abilities, right? Uh, to me, I don't know that she's turned enough of a corner to go out there and utilize that game plan, but it is the proper game plan. Kay Hansen took down Piera Rodriguez in the first. Rodriguez is flat off her back, man. Doesn't show much of a get-up game. Doesn't have many sweeps or submissions. If you can complete takedowns for on two of the three rounds, you can definitely ground her out and win. But I feel like this is a girl that's in the gym continuously with Vanessa Demopoulos and Mackenzie Dern and other great grapplers. She's really working on the grappling, really working on the takedown defense. And if she can keep this fight standing, taking away nothing from Sam Hughes, I just feel like Rodriguez might just hustle her up ever so slightly and get the job done. So, um, again, books are books, right? I got a slightly better price on Fight Goes the Distance. I got a slightly worse price on that Pierre Rodriguez by decision, which is sitting about minus 125. So again, shop it around if you can get a better price on it. But I just think if you want to play this one safe, it's a closely contested fight. If you're on Team Sam Hughes, you might have a live underdog here. If you're on Pierre Rodriguez, you could win. You could win for sure, but it's going to be greasy, right? It's going to be a tight decision. Why not just take that decision? And so nobody wants to be the guy taking a minus 250, a minus 260. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Sometimes like, you got to. Yeah, bro. I just, why not parlay it with something else and just you know add some juice? Like That's that's what I'm going. I just don't see the finish on either side here. Uh, cloud bet prop for this matchup. I'll pose this question to you, Cody. Uh, most takedowns. Who lands the most takedowns? Piero Rodriguez at minus 160. Sam Hughes at plus 135. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I, I guess I'd be leaning towards Sam Hughes, who I think could get a takedown. I don't know that it'll be short lived, and I don't be able, to, don't know if she'll be able to continuously do it. But I just feel like she's spending so much time on her wrestling. Her last two fights, I mean, she's really done a good job of having good cardio, good pace, and just using that grind and that grappling. Pierre Rodriguez will do the same thing. To, to me, I wish there was the option. Is it more takedowns for Piera? Is it more takedowns for Sam Hughes? Or will they have the same amount of takedowns? And I would hit that. And I think they get yeah, one each. Yeah, I think yeah. they get one each. Maybe they get two each. Um, if Piera Rodriguez ends up on her back, I, I think she'll probably be held down for a minute or two at the very least. If Sam Hughes gets taken down, I think Hughes just bounces back up. Like You're going to have to continuously grind on her over and over. But I think both girls got the cardio to do it. So The only thing that I could see in my mind possibly screwing me was... Who the hell thought Tisha Torres was ever going to finish somebody in the UFC? I said, corner and everyone was inside. Yeah, let's get out of here, Bob. So, like, that one really screwed me. And if I got to go inside the distance that, to get to cash. I love yeah, it. Yeah, bro. Bro, who had Tisha Torres inside the distance in that fight? Show me the ticket, man. Nobody. Uh, that's God, funny. Yeah. I remember uh, they made a they made a mistake on like the over one and a half or something, and everybody hit the over one and a half. And Everybody ripped up their ticket <laughs> for obvious reasons. Well, it was like Tisha was just styling on her, but it was yeah. like, okay, well, you know, at least Tisha doesn't got no stopping power, but she just took so many shots. There was like a mild cut and everyone's kind of just like, yeah, let's just call it a day. Yeah, we're in the so, UFC, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and after that, I was like, Sam Hughes will never reach that level. Even in LFA, it's like, she's looking solid against Vanessa Demopoulos and then just blows it. Right. So yeah. You know, is this a fighter that's going to turn the corner? And two fight winning streaks impressive. She's looked better than ever. That last fight against Elise Reed was the best she's ever looked. And maybe that's a continuation of where she's at. However, you got to play devil's advocate sometimes. And it's like, dude, Estella Nunez was fucking kicking her ass. And I mentioned that already. And then the other thing, it's like, okay, well, Elise Reed has absolutely no grappling. So going out and getting some takedowns against her is not. You know, it's not unfathomable where this is a much better spot where Pierre Rodriguez improving. She just got her debut out of the way. I thought she looked good on contender series. 
She's making strides to her overall game. And let's not forget, this is a good-looking, undefeated prospect that the UFC is looking to build up properly. I don't think that Sam Hughes is too much too soon. I think she does get the job done. I wish I got a better price on the Rodriguez decision prop. I didn't, so I decided to just cower it out, take the safe play, which is fight goes the distance. There you guys go. All right, let's get this next fight underway. And it's somewhat of a short notice fight. Joannison Brito taking on short notice debutante Lucas Alexander. Odds just dropped a couple days ago. And uh, we're currently getting minus 360 on Joannison Brito and plus 295 on Lucas Alexander. I actually finished taping this maybe an hour, two hours ago. Um, and I completely understand why the odds are where they are. Joannison Brito, uh, actually, not even like not even talking about this fight specifically, but just in general. Whenever there is a short notice debutante, you have to expect that if it's the UFC veteran uh, and he's above average, more than likely you're going to get a chalk price on him. And that's exactly what it is here as well, right? Joe Anderson Brito, I'd call him above average UFC talent. And he's taking on a guy here in Lucas Alexander, a Fusion XL product down there in Florida with other guys like Adolfo Vieira, formerly Jock Ray Souza, formerly Mike Perry, formerly Alex Nicholson. Joe Oh, yeah, Nicholson's still there. They're all yeah, still exactly. there. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, I think uh, Hannah Goldie is there as well, too. I think Jillian Robertson used to be there, too. Yeah, uh, but he, he is like one of those middling Brazilian guys that like moved from Brazil to Fusion that were just looking to eke their way into the UFC. And beating Jacob Kilburn, although via injury, he kicked his arm so hard, I believe it broke the wrist of Jacob Kilburn. That earned him a contract into the UFC. Now here he is taking, well, not just a contract, but a short notice spot here against Joe Anderson Brito. Seems like a lengthy striker, likes to use his kicks a lot, has a nasty calf kick as well, which he's been able to, to immobilize a lot of his opponents with. But it just seems that the, the explosive fast twitch nature of Joe Anderson Brito's game is just going to catch up to Lucas Alexander here where he's going to be able to put that power on him and put his lights out as well. So uh, I wanted to look for an angle to take that Lucas Alexander spot. The only way I can really come to a conclusion that he could win is if he can stay conscious long enough to actually batter that lead leg of Joe Anderson Brito and then start to take over with his uh, Muay Thai because the striking is not that bad. I'll give him that. His striking is there. But where he falters is when guys can put pressure on him and guys can get him to the gr ground and control him. And I think that Brito can do absolutely both of those things. And I think he can do those things to the extent of possibly finding a finish in this matchup as well. So Brito inside the distance currently sitting around minus 165, I see it as. Uh, I'm never really a big fan of taking minus money on those specific type product or those props, but this seems like a spot where Brito should be able to cash that. So give me Brito, Brito inside the distance. I think this Alexander kid might be one of those guys that goes like one and three in the UFC and then just ends up getting cut. doesn't seem like he's going to have much staying power uh, at the big show. But uh, in terms of a bet, Brito inside the distance, minus 165. Cody, did you see anything else on tape here on Lucas that, makes you think otherwise or is this another Brito shellacking incoming yeah that's what i'm saying dog so like i don't know what his real amateur record was obviously topology just has one amateur fight there and it was a loss and then he starts off his career two and two and then at that point he takes a full year off and then shows up in florida and it's been money ever since he's been in florida he fights low-level guys and he's been beating them but one has to imagine that how much of this is record building and building him back up and how much of this is he's legitimately good to go talented now bear with me on this one right Shows up to his first fight in America. You have your topology up, right? So you check yep, out yep. the So Jeremiah Fernandez, what does he wear for that fight? Uh, he missed weight for that one. Right, right. 146.8. Now check what he yeah. wears against Carlos Guerrera. Uh, there we go. 146.8. Now check out what he weighed against Ty Johnson. 
146.8. Ooh. Now he's taking this fight on short notice for Melsic Begdasarian, right? So <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, home dog ain't making weight. I wish there was a prop available. Will he make weight on his first attempt? <laughs> Uh, yeah, generally comes in about like it's worrisome when you're 146.8 because you're getting close, but you can't quite make it. You're bailing out. Maybe you're not mentally strong enough. Maybe your not, body's not agreeing with it, but it's not as if they're bringing him in to fight at 155 because it's short notice. They're bringing him in at 145 pounds. I'm not entirely sure that he's going to come in here and make the weight. I think he'll have a rough weight cut. And you have a rough weight cut against Juanis and Brito. It's not going to go good for you. This is a huge talent jump. It's a UFC debut. It's relatively short notice. This guy's an absolute killer just coming off of a fresh off a win over Andre Feely, which by KO, that's a pretty big win when you think about it. But like you're saying, maybe the calf kick, maybe that's the path to victory. I think Brito could catch him with someone standing. I think Brito just take his ass down. Brito's real aggressive and backs guys up towards the cage and shoots his takedowns off the cage. Whereas when you look at tape on, Al on, on uh, Almeida, he tends to typically, or sorry, Lucas Alexander, he typically tends to back himself up to the cage and that's where he's getting taken down. So I think Brito's sheer aggressiveness, which if you've seen a Brito fight, Dude is extremely aggressive. I think that'll just break through onto the other side and get the job done. I don't mind what you're saying, that Brito inside the distance. A minus 160, a little bit thick for my blood too. Yeah. And I know I hate doing this because I think the fight maybe is inside the distance, but I, I, I like the over one and a half, which is a uh, good plus, plus money 100. price. Officially on my book, I, mm. over I see one plus 100. I'm getting a plus 105 on, on, on yeah. Bovada. All the same, doesn't matter. Whatever book you're with, hopefully the all-star, hopefully the guys from uh from cloud bet hopefully sign up with the good guys maybe get a better price but in terms of like the actual market you're looking at about that even money plus 100 plus 110 anything in there i would say that that's kind of what i'm leaning towards brito will be aggressive and try to back this kid up but the kids ufc debut he's wily he's gonna be big for the weight class unless he has a real bad weight cut on friday and looks toast then I, i'm leaning towards he at least survives that over one and a half and then gets taken out at some point in the second or the third uh brito coming off a big win over Feely in 46 seconds, people are like, oh, damn, this thing ain't going to go long, possibly. But don't let that be a recency bias for you. Like, the, there are littler guys. Uh, Almeida's been submitted twice. Sorry, I keep calling him Almeida. His name is Lucas Alexander. Yeah, I get it. Lucas Almeida. Like, I, <laughs> all these Brazilian names, like, it just... Brazilian. I, he, both of his pro losses, which dating back to those fights in Brazil, are both by submission. Hasn't been knocked out, so I have no reason to believe that he's got a suspect chin. But weigh-ins for me are going to be crucial. So Brito's the kind of guy that I like his money line. I'm minus 400. How crazy does that sound? I feel like he's one of the better guys this week. In terms of a direct prop for this fight, you could go with that inside the distance. Feels a little chalky. The over one and a half to me felt a little better. So that's what I went with personally. But listen, this will be a banger of a fight. Maybe you can just uh, crack a beer, enjoy some popcorn, and just enjoy the festivities because it, it'll, it'll be a good one. Over one and a half on cloud bed sitting at plus one twelve. So getting a little extra That's bit there. Baby, let's <laughs> Link is in the description below. All right, let's get to the next fight here. Very interested to hear your thoughts on this one, Cody. We got a middleweight belt between Nick Maximov and Jacob Malkoon. In terms of odds, we now have minus uh there was some steam on Malkoon. We got minus 125 on Maximov plus 105 the return on Malkoon. Now I remember earlier this week that, that Malkoon was closer to like plus 130, plus 135, and a ton of money coming in on him here, making it closer to a 50-50 fight. And that's exactly what I expect this fight to be a 50-50 fight, which is why I didn't mind the underdog money on Jacob Malkoon, uh, especially at that plus 130 range when you could have gotten it there. 
I expect this, you know, everybody always expects, you know, two grapplers going up against each other. We're going to get a, get a striking battle. But based on how much these guys depend on grappling to get their dubs, I'm fully expecting them to be tangled up, to be scrambling, to, to have a lot of those instances where either guy is trying to get that top position, you know, whether it's to get a finish or whether it's just to grind them out, right? I'm expecting it from both guys. I feel like Mal Kuhn is just slightly more aggressive, especially with the stand-up, which, again, neither guy has a great advantage in terms of the stand-up or the striking here by any means. But I think it's just the aggressiveness and it's the being-in-your-face-at-all-times style of Mal Kuhn, which could give him the advantage here of just being the slightly more aggressive fighter, maybe look better for the judges too. And if especially if he can land those takedowns and get that top time, that will obviously help him as well. But Nick Maximov is a tough out as well when it comes to the grappling realm. People are kind of just going to discard him now because he got subbed by Andre Petrovsky in the first minute of his fight. But let's not forget that Petrovsky is a high-level jiu-jitsu player as well. So, like, we can't just throw away Nick Maximov because of that. But when it comes down to it, if this fight does go the full 15 minutes, I'm fully expecting it to be back and forth. I'm fully expecting it to be 50-50. So give me the underdog in the spot. <clears throat> for that case and i already do lean malcoon because of the the spots that i that i outlined already which is his aggressiveness with the striking staying in your face looking for takedowns even looking to just pressure you on the on the striking to push you back to the cage and then get to his takedowns from there he has sneaky inside trips and throws that he does from there where nick maximov is more of a conventional wrestler from what i've been seeing the double legs and i spoke about it in that tyra breakdown as well where he goes for a double leg looks for the back take, and then from there, up against the cage, either looks to trip his opponents, hop on the back of his opponents, whatever it is. They both want to get it to the grappling room. But I think Malkoon will be slightly more successful with doing that here. So give me Malkoon. I do think this fight will go the full 20 or 15 minutes as well. The uh, well, fight goes to decision. Minus 250 makes sense. Uh, so just like the Pierre Rodriguez fight, maybe taking either person by decision is probably the best way to get your value here. I'm going to go Malkoon by decision, which I saw closer to plus, two, plus 200 earlier this week. Now I'm seeing lines anywhere between plus 165 and plus 190, which I still don't mind either. So uh, give me Malkoon, Malkoon via decision. What are you thinking here? Are you going uh, Nick Diaz Army here? or do you think that the 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 down under can pull it off here yeah we're going with the robert whitaker army on this yeah, one yeah. rba baby in the battle of two guys that wouldn't be on the ufc roster if it wasn't for their famous friend <laughs> uh, hey, hey let's say this cody let's say this though this is better than marcos mariano chris Sevilla. uh you know th this is a step up these guys i think they deserve a spot on the roster but you are right though Based on their affiliations with other more famous fighters, that's why they are in the UFC. I think they are more deserving, though, than past uh, examples of that. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. And sometimes I'm a little harsh on these guys. But, you know, <laughs> Maximal, they're like, yo, BJJ Black Belt, Caesar Gracie this, what, what, yeah. 209. I was like, man, I used to watch this guy's submission underground all the time. Joe Bays submitted him. Aaron Teague submitted him. Tanner Wiseman beat him in overtime. Gustavo Pierce submitted him. He's <laughs> in black belt, sure. It was, it's not like he's a world champion black belt. He's not he's like super upper echelon. And then the weird thing to me with Jacob Malkoon was uh, I used to tell people like, yo, BJJ black belt. Uh, he had competed in like the ADCC Oceania, I think, and like done fairly okay for himself. Uh, Robert Whitaker's jiu-jitsu coach. So like all that stuff sounds good. And then it turns out, like, I was lying, bro. He wasn't even a black belt. I don't know why, why Robert Whitaker's coach wouldn't be a black belt, considering he was the UFC champion at the time. But Malcoon was like a brown belt and a guy that hasn't wrestled super high levels. Striking is really not all that good. He was young. He was only, like, 24 years old. 
I, I, I didn't quite get it. But I will give this guy something. He's freakishly strong. And so you'll yeah. notice in all of his fights, he just outmuscles guys that are otherwise quite strong. Listen, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, you seen how that guy's built? He's so jacked. And he's also a judo black belt. Taking him down, you can do it. But taking him down eight times and just ragdolling him at will, impressive. AJ Dobson, talk. Have you seen AJ Dobson? <laughs> it up. Super, super strong. And a guy that's really worked hard on his strength and conditioning. At one point, was like trained to be a power lifter out of Ohio. And it's the same thing, Malcoon with the six takedowns. The Brendan Allen fight was awful. Some people actually did give it to Jacob Malcoon, and you can't fault those people because it's a very close fight that maybe Malcoon should have won. But seven takedowns is still quite impressive. Now, Maximov's getting takedowns as well. He's in the same boat. He accrues a whole bunch of takedowns. Um, and he's taking down decent guys like Cody Brunridge, uh, you know, Poliana Soriano, like some decent enough wrestlers in his own right. But to me, it's like Malcoon's just a lot stronger. He's going to be stronger in the clinch. If this becomes a straight up grappling match. I figure like he's going to be the one that's going to be getting the takedowns and ending up on top. If it's a striking battle, I mean, I think you give the edge to him, but I wouldn't feel good about it. Like, is he going to outstrike Maximov over 15? Like who wants to watch that? But Maximov's uh, volume, it's like non-existent, man. He's throwing a punch to get to the clinch. Whereas like Malkoon's obviously worked a few combinations. He's got a few punches in his arsenal. I feel like he does win the striking battle. I feel like he wins the fight if it goes to the ground. But this is very similar to, you kind of mentioned it yourself earlier, the Pierre Rodriguez fight against Sam Hughes. It's going to decision, baby. This thing is going to decision. I don't see Malkoon submitting him. Malkoon has never submitted an opponent in MMA. Not in any of his fights. He fought as an amateur too. Pretty sure he never submitted an opponent there. And for Nick Maximov, yeah, good jiu-jitsu guy, but I just don't see him catching uh, catching it in the other side. So with no submission, neither guy throw a whole lot of strikes. Neither guy have a whole lot of power. This thing's going to be a straight-up grappling match. And you've seen in almost all of their fights, they're just straight-up grappling matches. So this is good matchmaking in terms of Let's just throw them both in there against each other and see which one's the real one and which one's going to have to go back to the wayside. But I feel like Malcoon's got a little more upside, has shown a little bit more, should get the job done. Minus, two fight, minus 240, fight goes the distance. I'm going with that, but I got to make a pick. Jacob Malcoon is the pick, and the Malcoon by decision prop, it's plus money. So why not have a little whiff of that if you want to be uh, dangerous? Bang. I love it, Cody. I love that we're on the same dog here, especially in a fight like this. It, it seems to be the fight that's most talked about on Twitter, honestly, this week. Uh, but it seems like a lot of love coming in on Malkun, especially with his line moving the way that it is. All right, let's get to this next fight here. Uh, we got uh, the legend. I guess we can call him a legend. A veteran for sure, though. Hafi Alessansa going up against Victor Henry. Uh, in terms of odds, we got minus 390 now on Victor Henry, plus 320 on uh Hafiala Sunsau. Now, intriguing thing here is the fact that Victor Henry made his UFC debut as a big underdog as well. As most people remember, Honey Barcelos was a huge favorite in that fight, and it just didn't even look like Honey Barcelos showed up to fight that night. Or it could have been just that pressure and volume and output style of Victor Henry, which was allowing him to get ahead of Barcelos that night. Now, I remember watching that fight back for the tape starting purposes, and good God, was the commentary team so low on Victor Henry in that first round, just talking about all the good things that Barcelos was doing. But Henry was remaining very competitive in that first round and then started to take over in the second and third rounds by just, you know, again, being more active, getting to the punch. And you know, Honey Barcelos seemed to be staring more than he was actually fighting, and that ultimately led to his demise in that fight. Um, here against Rafael Asuncao, Asuncao is really starting to fall off a cliff, it seems, right? He's he's 0-4 in his last four fights. He's gotten finished in three of those as well. 
uh, before this four fight run, he had only been finished once in the UFC prior to that. So maybe his 40 year old year old age is really starting to catch up to him now. And guys are going to be able to get him out of there. But Victor Henry, you know, not the biggest puncher. Like he's been able to finish guys on the regional scene and he's accrued a wealth of experience on the regional scene as well from all corners of the world. Um, I think that he uh, he has enough volume and pressure here to cause the Sun some issues. The Sun has been, you know, the victim of low output at times. That could possibly put him too far back in this fight, especially against a guy like Victor Henry, who's going to be bringing it from the jump. Now, although Rafael Asunza is 40 years old, it's not like Victor Henry is any spring chicken either. This guy's 35 years old as well. Like he is definitely closer to his prime and his peak than Rafael Asunso is, which is why he should be the no brainer pick here, right? Minus 400 almost makes sense. But the best way you want to try to extract value is tuning into this show, right? Propping you up. We want to prop you up here to get you a better price on a minus 400 underdog. And I think me and Cody are going to agree on this one with uh, Henry by decision plus 120. I think that's the best way to play this. A sun cell, not much of a finisher nowadays. Uh, you know, I'd be surprised if he clips, you know, and hurts Henry with anything that he can, even if he decides to go out there and take the approach that Victor Henry's last opponent that beat him took, which is grappling Dennis Levetrinev or whatever the fuck his name is. I'm sure I nailed his name. Uh, that guy's a badass, man. He's a badass. <laughs> really but good. The way he won was by taking Henry down and grinding him out. Even if Sansa wants to take that that path, I just don't think at 40 years old he can fuel that type of game plan at this point. So I'm taking Henry. Henry by decision plus 120 is probably the best way to extract as much value as possible out of Henry in the spot, but he should cruise throughout this fight and win without too many issues. Um, what are you thinking here, Cody? Like, I, I know you agree with me. I'll say that. But what are you? What's your thought process uh, in terms of this one? Yeah, listen. I mean, uh, Henry comes from that catches catch can wrestling background. A guy that spent a lot of time in California with guys like Josh Barnett. He can wrestle. And what you saw part of the reason why he beat Rowdy Barcelos is Barcelos is a dope ass wrestler, seven time uh, member of the Brazilian national team in freestyle. Like, he's a very good wrestler. He went one for seven on takedowns against David Henry. Who? Or, sorry, Victor Henry who basically just stuffed him out and, and, and had a whole lot of success on his feet. Um, I find it's interesting that you mentioned to start off the breakdowns. Like, he, he made it look like Rowdy Barcellos just wasn't there to fight. And you're right. It looked like Rowdy just didn't look like himself, you know. He just didn't really show up. And Rowdy landed 134 significant strikes that night, and it seemed like he didn't do anything. Right. That's how much Henry just outpaced him and outworked him at every turn. Yes, he's 34 years old, but he's fought very high-level guys uh, overseas in Japan. He's very uh, well-experienced. I feel like he's still fresh in his own ways, hasn't taken a whole lot of damage, and he still got something to show. So I think this should be a good a good enough coming-out party for him. Rafael Sunsao, you mentioned, you know, is he a legend? He is a legendary gatekeeper, and that him and Clay Guida are the only two guys I can really think of that they have wins over world cha- They both have wins over two world champions. Clay Guida beat Rafael Dos Anjos and Anthony Pettis, and yet Clay Guida never fought for a title himself. Havilah Sunsell's got wins over TJ Dillashaw and Aljamain Sterling, former champions, and a current champion. And yet, he himself has never actually fought for a UFC title. They're excellent gatekeepers. They fight all the best guys, but at some point, you start to get long in the tooth. And in Sunsell's case, major ankle surgery, a little bit older, fights one time, one time a year, if that. And his numbers are just criminally low, all of his fights. Uh, Paul Shaughnessy and I talked about this yesterday because um, – he had a book that, well, well uh, Prize Picks is offering like um, over under 70 significant strikes landed by Victor Henry. So very interesting because the guy just landed 184 or something. <laughs> That's an easy over, right? Easy over. 
But holy shit, dude, wouldn't you know it? Rafael Asuncao, he's between the UFC and the WEC. He's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. He's got 22 fights between the UFC and the WEC, and the most he's ever been hit in a fight was 64 significant strikes. Mm. It was the highest he's ever been hit in 22 fights between the UFC and the WEC. That's crazy. He does not get hit, this guy. Everything's chest to chest. Everything is close range, or you knock him out. Lately, he's been getting knocked out. <laughs> but in both scenarios, you're not racking up huge numbers against him. Where That's what I'm expecting Victor Henry to do, is rack up huge numbers against him. So I'm a little bit worried that a Sun is going to be in the clinch the entire time. I'm a little bit worried about those things, but he's not who he used to be. And with Henry, it's like, if you throw up half the numbers that you did in your last fight, you should be able to cruise. I think you'll be able to stuff the takedowns. I think you'll be able to dictate and manage the outside for the most part. Um, but I got enough respect for Rafael Sunsau to say his style is still good enough to survive. Now, the guy had been knocked out once in his entire career, and then Cody Garbrandt knocks him out, and then Ricky Simone knocks him out. So is the chin going? Perhaps, perhaps. But I think because of that is why we're going to be able to get a Henry decision prop that's plus money because Henry is going to look, oh, wow, they, everyone's knocking him out. Everyone's knocking him out. It's like, everyone's knocking him out? I don't know, man. Cody Garbrandt's pretty tough. For the record, Asuncao won the first round against Cody Garbrandt, got knocked out in the second, and Ricky Simone, Ricky Simone thrashed him and is not really known for his knockout power either. But all the same, you know, put one hell of a pace on him. So maybe Victor does the same thing, puts one hell of a pace on him. But Ricky's wrestling so good, you're not coming nowhere near him. Whereas Henry's wrestling is good, but Asuncao and him should be able to be in clinch-type positions up against the cage, which is going to stall, which is going to kill time off the clock. Hopefully Henry separates, lands a few combinations back to the clinch, out-hustles him, out-works him, wins that decision, plus 125, plus 120, depending on the book. Um, yeah, I got Victor Henry by decision. I like it. And Cloudbet is actually offering a similar prop to what you said from prize picks. What did you say prize picks was? 70. 70? So uh, Cloudbet actually has uh, Victor Henry significant strikes over under 66 and a half at that's minus 110. That's a much better line because that even that would make Victor Henry the most hit. He hit a sound more than anybody, right? 66 and a half. But at least it's feasible. 64 is the previous record. 66 and a half. Henry throws a whole lot of volume. Okay, for sure. You can get behind that. But uh, yeah, I think I, I, to me, it felt like a trap. We're like, oh, dude, his last fight, he landed so many strikes. He's going to do that again. It's like, you, you, we've seen that before. We've seen guys put up over 100 in one fight and then in the next fight throw absolutely nothing, right? It does sometimes happen depending on the style. And I don't know, were you hurt coming into this fight? Like I noticed that's a repetitive theme now. All these guys are banged up coming into their fight. So you never really know what you're going to get as opposed to tape study and whatnot, right? Yeah, uh, but uh, you know Victor Henry, uh, not a bad way to splash into the UFC by beating a guy, by uh, beating a guy like Barcelos and now taking on another legend uh, of the Zufa era in Rafael Sanso. Like he is right in the thick of uh, 135 pounds. Should he pick up another win here as well? Well, I agree 100. The way I was looking at it, I've been telling this for years now. But 135 pounds is bar none the best weight class in the entire sport, right? Like they've got just the most guys that on any given night could come out there and win a world championship. Of course, Aljamain Sterling's talented, but you got Peter Yan, TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sanhagen, Rob Dvorakvili's the fifth best guy. Cheeto Vera is the sixth best guy. Rob Font on any given night would light you up with over 120 significant strikes. He's eight. Song Yadong, that kid is extremely talented. Very bright future. Nine. Ricky Simone, stud. Sean O'Malley, I don't care for. He's not even in the top 10. Saeed Nurmagomedov is ranked 13th. Crazy. Uh, a guy like Adrian Yanez, not quite there yet, but he he's a fringe top 15 contender. 
right? Umar yeah. Nurmagomedov is outside of top 15 in the world. Crazy. Yeah, right. Cody Stamen, Casey Kenny, uh, Rowney Barcellos. Saeed Yokob Kakramanov. That guy's looking like he's going to be oh, legit too. He can make the weight. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's so talent rich. That Cody Garbrandt's a guy that held the title and like, <laughs> he better go to 25 and stay at 25 because he's not a top 10 guy in the world right now. No disrespect to him. All respect to the guys at 135 pounds. So if you're Victor Henry, you're 34 years old, you don't need to fight a couple guys with no name. You got to make a splash. Right and do you fight a top 10 guy right off the get-go? No, because you don't have a name yet. But you go and you beat Rafael Asuncao. Why? Because everybody else in the division that's ranked between 5 and 10, what's their, what do they all have in common? Well, they, they all fight Rafael Asuncao. He's that <laughs> guy for the organization. Victor's just got to go there and get the win over that guy to, to, to be one of these people that get into the conversation. But yeah, Chris Gutierrez, uh, uh, you know, if Frankie wants another go around, I know he's actually yeah. fighting Chris Gutierrez, but someone like that, Victor Henry versus Frankie Edgar, sign the fuck up, right? But he needs to take someone that's got a big name to get him, okay, people are talking about him, people know who he is, and then he might be able to jump in and take on one of these higher rank contenders. But uh, the, the guy's actually for a, a very long time he's got wins over three ufc veterans before he even stepped in foot with the organization and like four guys that have been uh, previously ranked number one guys in japan so very talented we just haven't really heard about him because of where he's been fighting the casual not not even casual fan the average fan has not heard of this guy minus 400 i think he goes out there and wins this fight a sun's out dangerous in his ways but he's being brought in because of the name attachment so got to go with henry and then uh I would take Henry by decision. But the more we talk about it, it's like, damn, dude, if he does actually go out there and show out, is the Sunside just going to sit there and take the drubbing? Like, I don't know, probably not. But uh, I, I got faith that Sunside is a savvy enough veteran to just slow this thing down and survive a, to a decision loss. The, the, that was kind of my take going into the the Simone and a Sunside fight. I'm like, Simone's a, a grapple fucker, right? Like, he's just going to go out there and just take this guy to the ground and starches him in round two so i'm hoping just like you that uh henry will be a little bit easy on the legend here and just take a decision victory but we'll see how it goes all right let's get to this next fight here it is the prelim headliner and it could be a banger should it play out that way uh we got a bantamweight belt between Munna martinez and brandon davis in terms of odds we got minus 150 on Munna martinez and plus 130 the return on brandon davis now brandon made his uh, return to the UFC last time around by getting starched by Bat Gail in two minutes. It seemed like the first punch that Batgirl landed on him. Brandon Davis wanted out. You know, yep. it, it didn't even seem like he was in that fight to begin with. Um, I expected that fight to be close if Davis was able to get the fight to the ground, but it didn't even seem like he could get close to a takedown as Bakriel was really putting that pressure on him right off the jump. Now, Brandon Davis, we can look and pick apart his initial run in the UFC and be like, okay, maybe he just ran into some tough opponents, right? His last three losses, Giga Chikadze, Kyung Ho Kong, and beat Magomed Sharapov. Now, those first two losses I spoke about, Giga and Kyung Ho Kong, he lost those by split decision. And it was the Giga one that eventually got him out of the UFC. The Zabit fight, he wasn't doing all too bad in the early going there. And then Zabit started taking him to the ground, eventually knee-barring him in that in that second round. Uh, and then it was the two losses before that. Enrique Barzola, grinder, obviously put him through the ringer there. And then Kyle Bokniak, you know, doing Kyle Bokniak shit, just uh, moving forward and, and out-slugging Brandon Davis. But Brandon picked up, you know, the win over Steven Peterson, which is not a bad uh, win at all, or a bad win at all. Uh, survives the early onslaught of Randy Costa, finishes him in the second round as 
as is with almost any Randy Costa fight. Uh, but then it was obviously that Giga Chikadze fight that got him out of the UFC. But he picked up four wins on the regional scene for Gulf Coast, Gulf Coast MMA uh, and then got his return to the UFC. Decent, scrappy fighter. His I believe his best work can be done on the ground if he can get his opponents there. And that's what he'll likely have to do here uh, against a guy like Manda Martinez, who will definitely be putting the pressure on him in the stand-up realm. I think that uh, Martinez is the heavier striker. I think he's the better technical striker. And if he can bring the same kind of uh, viciousness and ferocity that did not back real brought into the into the cage. I think he could really light up Brandon Davis and, and, and touch him up. Even if he doesn't finish him in the first round, I think he can withstand that for the full 15 minutes and just beat on him for, for that length of time and, and win the fight by decision as well. Now, Mana used to be the guy that I looked at for violence bets, right? I used to be like, oh, just look at his record. The guy either finishes or goes late, gasses out and either loses or he gets finished himself. But I think the last two fights... Even though he split them, he's gone one and one in his last two fights. He showcased that he can go 15 minutes if he needs to. He's dispelled the rumors that his cardio is absolutely dog shit. Like he can go out there and still do good work in round three. So I, I think that violence type of moniker that I put on him now can kind of be taken away. Uh, and we can actually expect a decent showing from him over 15 minutes should he go there. I think that's what's going to happen here. I think he's just going to put the pressure on Davis, land the better strikes. I think he'll be able to stop the takedowns, and he should be able to beat on Brandon Davis. Maybe get a later finish, maybe a round two, round three finish. Uh, as I did list my favorite prop in this matchup as uh, Martinez by KO, uh, but a, a later KO, like I said, uh, that is currently sitting at plus... 215. Not a bad line, honestly, for a guy that has as much power as Martinez does, and me considering as much of a, a striking advantage as he should have in this matchup. Davis needs to get this fight to the ground, in my opinion. He might be able to stay competitive for a little bit, but as the power starts to land on Martinez, I think we'll see Davis start to break. Um, last thing I'll say about this matchup as well, in terms of uh, Brandon Davis, he could get the takedowns. Like, it's possible. Because Mano Martinez was getting taken down with some, you know, Ronnie Lawrence is a great pressure wrestler, but in terms of his technical wrestling, it's not really there in my opinion, right? It's just, I'm going to overwhelm you with pressure and I'll eventually keep getting you down. And some of these takedowns that Ronnie was landing, I'm like, it looks like he's not even trying. He just mowed him over and he was able to get him down. So Brandon can get that get the fight to the ground with a little bit more of an intelligent takedown approach. He's absolutely live. And he could possibly even pull off a submission later in this fight. But for some reason, I still come, come back to the thing that Mano will likely keep this in his realm, in the stand-up realm, outstrike him, and I think he'll be able to touch him up and, and win this fight. So give me Martinez. Martinez by KO, maybe round two, round three. Uh, just not the most confidence. But what about you, Cody? You think Davis has more of a shot than I'm giving him? If I hadn't seen the Bacharel fight, I would think Davis is absolutely live. The worry here, though, is it's not... I don't think he quit when he got hit. That's not my thinking at all. I'm thinking he got fucked up as soon as he got hit. And it was like, is his chin compromised? Because he's a junkyard dog scrapper, right? And you can't be that kind of fighter, that forward pressure grinder, if you can't take a punch. Everything Bacharel threw stunned him, right? And two knockdowns eventually knocked out. Yeah, that I don't like. But if he can get his pressure on, if he can get his grind going, like, I, I think I, I don't necessarily mind him. Keep in mind, this one's a little more theory than anything else. But if you're Brandon Davis, okay, you come to the UFC, you lose to Kyle Bokniak in your debut. Again, like you said, Bokniak was pretty decent at the time, forward pressure guy. Sure. The Steven Peterson fight, man, he shows out in that. He landed uh, 112, I believe it was. Let me just bring that up. Uh, 114 significant strikes landing against Pe Steven Peterson. When he was against Austin Arnett in the Contender Series, 134 significant strikes. So you see the guy's got tons of volume, 
He can make it a scrap. He's got good cardio. Enrique Barzola is dope, right? Was a, was a solid talent. Won the Ultimate Fighter Latin America. Was a factor in the UFC's division. He's a factor in the Bellator division now. Zabit Magomed Sharapov, bro, people were talking about him being a title contender. He's high level. Mr. Perfect, Kyung Ho Kang, savvy veteran of the game. Very solid. Kika Chikots, you know, was thought to be a top five, top 10 contender there for a little bit. And he took him down three times. He's fought a really good level. Maybe just hasn't gotten over the hump. But you see, as soon as he gets released, four fight winning streak on the regional scene is looking himself and then the Baccarel fight. So if you look at the timestamp on this, right? His last fight against Josh Huber is eight weeks before his fight with Dana Baccarel, right? So he would have not gotten the fight call until at least eight weeks, which would be considered a full camp. Only Dana Baccarel, he was supposed to fight Montel Jackson a month before that fight took place. Which means that Brendan Davis never got contacted till Baccarel Montel Jackson fell apart. And then they would have just hit him up and been like, do you want to fill in in the spot? And that's what he did. I don't think he would have been in good shape. I bet you he had a shit weight cut. I bet you he wasn't in the gym as much as he needed to be because he had just fought a few weeks earlier. And it was reflective of a poor performance. But what we know he's capable of doing at his best is over 100 significant strikes, lots of pace, lots of action, and he can mix in the takedowns. And I think both of those things are uh, very effective weapons against Manny Martinez because the two flaws with Manny Martinez is, one, he's showing a 12% takedown defense, uh, not known to have good wrestling. Yes, the Ronnie, La Ro the Ronnie Lawrence fight is a, a big issue with that. But even back on the contender series against Draco Rodriguez, gives up an easy takedown almost right away to him. I would say he's still got takedown defense issues. The other problem is he's got volume issues. You watch all of his fights, it's like he's hesitant. He doesn't let his hands go. He's got killer power, especially in his left hand, but I would say in both hands, big power in both hands. But guys like that eventually fall in love with the, I'm just going to clip this guy, that they stop throwing combinations. Man Martinez doesn't throw as much as I'd like. You can make the argument, well, dude, the Ronnie Lawrence fight, he looked fresh in the third round. You know why that is? Because he had landed nine significant strikes through the first 10 minutes of that fight. He didn't do shit. Yeah, well, okay, he was good in the third round. There was nothing going on. Davis should be able to, I think, throw the superior volume, stay in his face, mix in a few takedowns, cause him to work, and just get that grind going. But what I need is a good training camp, a good weight cut, and a much better version of Brandon Davis than we've seen the last time out. Now, Manny Martinez is tough. He's durable. I think Davis is going to have to give him that three-round grind. And so, pun play, a little bit of salt on it. Uh, I actually went with Davis by decision, plus 300. I honestly, I, I don't hate that uh, breakdown of it either. Like, uh, this honestly feels like a Fury FC main event. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like something they'll throw down in Texas. Uh, but uh, no, I could I definitely see the live dog aspect here on the Brandon Davis side as Mano Martinez still really working out his game, especially with the, the new training camp after since his, uh, his original coach had passed away. Uh, I believe that was last year, but we'll see if he can come back and get this dub here for his guys. All right, let's get. To the main card now, a reminder that this card actually takes place 4 p.m. Eastern or the prelims this weekend. So uh, don't get caught napping for that one. Um, so make sure you guys check that out. Also, just a quick shout out to the 100 live viewers that we have with us right now as well. Make sure you guys hit that uh, like and subscribe below. Let the All-Star know that you guys enjoy us over there. And also check out their beautiful app that they got for you guys as well. I'm just going to run a quick ad for, for you guys as well. It's 20 seconds. Just check it out.
I was so close to just playing my uh, my Yanni gift that I got uh, that uh, from the last one, and just because I want to, it's it's seven seconds. Just one of my favorite moments of the Contender Series this past season. Check it out. That's a problem. Finish this. Atta boy. Finish this. <laughs> like yeah, best good. moment of the contender series this year. Yeah. I'm thinking that Mark Zuckerberg probably said that exact same line last uh two weeks ago when he was in the apex. He was like, yeah, exactly. yes. Blood. Or he does the fucking uh, thumbs down. <laughs> yeah, the best I seen was they're like, Man, Zuckerberg's into violence, like I get suspended on Facebook for putting things up. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's a great point, man. Like, I didn't realize this guy was with it. Kind of cool. I know people are hating on him, but like Bro, like capitalism who gives a fuck like that's how it works you haven't accepted this at some point you're a communist mm. um <laughs> if you're a communist you're still welcome to check out the show there you know i'm go. friends with everybody but yeah whatever he wants to rent out the apex and have a fat party like you ever watch that like my sweet 16 it's like honey i got p diddy coming and they're like <laughs> i told you i don't like p diddy it's like oh my god bitch, what is he saying well, i spent two million dollars on this you better get out there and enjoy yourself <laughs> bro sometimes you watch that stuff to have a good laugh and it just gives you like reassurance like uh oh i grew up with this kid good kid had more money than like anything and uh, He's so miserable now as a full-grown man. And, like, he still has everything, bro. He still has everything. But just, like, I think his brain was just oversaturated with serotonin because it's, like, we're just having fun all the fucking time, bro. Like, I don't know. I feel bad for the kid, to be honest with you. But, yeah, yeah, like, riches is not everything. I've seen that stuff, so he's like, oh, my God. But I I completely can see what you're talking about in terms of, like, getting all that excitement so early in your career that nothing really excites you anymore. Then you got to start venturing off into, like, other shit. Like, hey, doing drugs, that's what happens, man. You're doing drugs because you're like, ah, I got nothing to do on Tuesday, so might as well have a good time. And yeah, yeah, you're whack. But unless you own like a multi billion dollar, you know, social media company, yeah, probably do have something to do on Tuesday. I assure probably. you, it's something that probably needs to be done. Probably. All right, let's get back on track here, Cody. We got, uh, I believe it's only a five fight main card, uh, according to topology which uh, you know outside of a pay-per-view i can't recall the last time a fight night only had five fights on its main card but is what it is uh 8 p.m start time for the main card first fight on the main card fellow canadian of ours misha sirkinov going back up to 205 pounds he's coming in as a plus 175 underdog he's going up against alonzo menafield minus 205 on zoe there so this is one of those fights where, like, it could look like a quick shit kicking that Sirkinov just gets blasted right off the bat, and you know his durability is truly gone, and we can't uh, rely on him any further. Or Sirkinov can get that wrestling going and you know really have success of his own because we know this, Cody. Even though he got submitted in his last fight via armbar, the guy is a jujitsu wizard. Mm. Like he just got caught that night by Wellington Terman. But he is a strong wrestler. He has some great jujitsu. And should this fight hit the mat, similar to how Big Willie was able to get to the mat, Devin Clark got it to the mat, although won some 10 attempts, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but if Sirkinov can get it to the ground, he is much more uh, you know, well-versed in the jiu-jitsu realm compared to the thick Willies and the and the Devin Clarks of the world. So I really do think that Sirkinov is a live underdog in the spot. This is one of those spots where you have to open your mind up a little bit more rather than just thinking that uh, Alonzo Benefield is going to go in there and just start him. Because if he doesn't, we saw what OSP was able to do to Alonzo Benefield. He was able to wear him out and then eventually finish him as well. We've seen what Devin Clark 
even only landing one takedown was able to do, was able to get a win over Alonzo Menafield. Menafield relies a lot on that early finishing success. He has won, you know, the, the most raw fight by, you know, ground and pound, but Really, are we going to call that a fight considering all the bullshit that I was coming out about Mozarov surrounding that fight? And then even the Fabio Sharon fight, he gets a fucking Von Pru in that fight. Um, and again, Sharon not really UFC level either. So uh, I think Zoe, although he showed some good things in terms of his jujitsu from on top, it is going to be the complete opposite when he has his back on the mat here. And I think that Serkanov could absolutely wrap him up into a pretzel in the spot if he can get it there and survive that early onslaught. So I love me some Menafield here, Cody, man. I, I love the even the the circuit off by submission prop, which is now sitting at plus three thirty. I think it's absolutely live. We we we've we've known Misha for a long time, right? We've known him from his regional days. We know how good this guy can be, especially when he can get fights to the ground. And although he might be nearing the twilight of his career, like near more so on the back end of his career, he should still be able to go out there and beat a guy like Alonzo Menafield as long as his durability holds up. And that's a lot of betting. You're hoping that some guys that if they can keep their durability, uh, they, they should be good to go. Nate Landwehr several weeks ago, right? If he can keep his durability against a guy like David Onama, he likely wins this fight. This is a similar situation with Serkinov. If he can get this fight to the ground to the early enough and not eat a big shot from Zoe, he should be able to win this fight, whether it's with control or find a submission. I think he ends up getting the back of Zoe and ends up finding that rear naked uh, choke. So give me plus 330 on Serkinov. I... A submission but even him as a straight up dog play at plus 175 i think you're getting great value on that as well so let's go with the good uh the latvian canadian misha sarkanov what are you thinking here cody yeah listen i think he's live as well i think he could go out there and and, and pull it off uh again he's got the submission game and i don't think alonzo uh alonzo menafield is really all that good off of his back so if he gets him there yeah he might be able to move to mount he might be able to grab an arm he might be able to grab something you've seen in the jimmy crew fight a peruvian necktie but Going back to that Jimmy Crude fight, he's inches away from getting stopped and TKO'd and pulls off a Peruvian necktie. And that's my biggest beef with him is like, don't know how much he really wants it. Now, getting knocked unconscious is one thing, but all of his losses are like pretty quick. He was a jiu-jitsu ace when he lost to Roy Bowden by armbar in Warrior 1. He was a jiu-jitsu ace when he lost to Tech Johnson by heel hook in like 15 seconds. Uh, Volcan Uzdemir knocks him in 28 seconds. Glover Texera, dude, did black belt versus black belt. No, Glover smoked him. It was like black belt versus purple belt, bro. Glover, and now Glover Texera is Glover Texera. But 245 in the first round, mounts him and just pounds him out, TKO. Johnny Walker, 36 seconds. Ryan Spann, a minute and 11. He can take a punch. He doesn't particularly deal well with adversity. So the worry is that a guy like Alonzo Menafield, if he does come at him aggressively, probably makes it happen. Going back to the Devin Clark fight, one for 10. And what Clark had to do was cling on to him for 10 minutes. And that one takedown, it came in the third round. And as soon as he took him down, pff, that was it. Menefield couldn't get back up. But the first three minutes of that fight is Menefield smashing Clark, swells his eye shut, nails him with a big old uppercut. Clark had to face some adversity. Chirkinov's not going to come out of that adversity particularly well. So I think he can win. He gets his fight to the ground. He should be able to. He had Jocko in some decent spots. He had Wellington Terman in some decent spots. Those guys are both middleweights, man. He's coming back up to 205. If he grabs a hold of Alonzo Menafield and realizes, damn, homeboy's pretty strong. He's at a 4-7 to man as well. You know, one of your favorite camps. Improving. They've got a big, you know, they're trying to work on the wrestling. If he keeps the, keeps the fight standing and lands a couple shots, Misha may topple over. I don't hate the Misha underdog play whatsoever. I, If you're going to play it, the Misha by submission play is the way to go. But again, if you really want to be smart on this one, the ones that I like the most is straight up, if you want to take the uh, the coward's way, under two and a half at minus 250. 
This thing ain't going over two and a half rounds, man. If you want to be a little bolder, the fight does not complete two full rounds. Minus 185. If you want to straight up just take the under one and a half, it's about at minus 125, minus 120, depending on the book. But in, in both scenarios, if Menafield gets taken down, he getting sucked. He's, I don't think this is going to go a whole lot if he gets taken down. If he doesn't get taken down, Misha's not going to take those punches, man. He's just not going to do it. So I got a feeling this one's going to be straight up violence. It's not going to last a whole lot. I think it could get out of the first, maybe. Probably ends in the first. Might get out of the first. But if it does, some's getting finished in the second early because they're, they just don't have great cardio either. They're both first-round guys. The times that they get extended, usually not great for them. Uh, Misha in two fights ago against uh, Jocko. Jocko fights at a very slowish pace, right? So at 185, yeah, he made it through, but his, he was completely gassed in that fight. And then the Wellington Terman fight was that armbar from guard, which you never see in men's MMA anymore. Was the armbar that good, or is Misha Cherkinov straight up gassed and on top of him? Because I urge you to watch the fight. After the first round, he slumps on his stool and starts huffing and puffing. The second round starts, he grabs him and takes him down and then fucking quits. Part of me is like, Misha's a one-round guy. He can win this fight in one round. If he doesn't, he's in trouble. So I'm going to take all those things, and I'm also going to have a look on the Menafield live line because very similar to the Wellington Terman fight, which I hit live, if Misha wins the first round, big deal. He needs to finish you in the first round. If he doesn't, Ty's going to start to turn, and Menafield can pull this one off. So uh, I, I am just going to take the violence on this one, the under one and a half, the under two and a half. The fight doesn't start round three. And I'm going to look to maybe hit a Menafield live, but I'm not faulting anybody taking that Churkinoff spot. I'm not faulting anybody going for that Churkinoff submission. Could happen. Most definitely could happen. But uh, the safe way of playing this one is the unders, because it doesn't matter who gets the job done. Someone's getting the job done. I'll also say this. I I'm glad that Churkinoff is actually going back up to 205 pounds as well. That 185 pound cut looked rough for him to do. It did. He's a but, big dude. Yeah, but keep but keep in mind this. Volkan knocks him out senseless, right? Glover knocks him out. Johnny Walker knocks him out. Ryan Spann knocks him out. So as a fighter and as a lost fighter who's now just been knocked out four times in the UFC, it's like, oh man, oh, what can I do to change things? It's like, uh, let's go to 85. Let's go to 85. Now, Jocko. Jocko hasn't even finished a sandwich let alone a human being in an octagon, right? So, yeah, I'm not surprised he went the distance with Chris Jocko. And then Wellington Terman, interesting, because Wellington Terman subs him early in the second round. And had he not subbed him and he just gotten back up to his feet, he probably would have TKO'd him. He probably would have finished him in some other way. It seemed to me like Misha didn't just make one mistake. It seemed to me like Misha was tired and that caused him to make that mistake. How else is one of the best BJJ black belts on the roster, right? One of the most technical savvy guy. How does a guy like that make a mistake? Well, I'll tell you. The same way Rodolfo Vieira made a mistake. You're completely gassed out. You're like, <laughs> whatever. You give it up. That's what I think happens. I'm worried about Misha pulling that, which is why I'm having a look at the live betting opportunity here if it makes it outside of the first round. But uh, there is a big discrepancy here on the ground. So if Misha takes him down early, gets on top of him early, they're still dry and he's got some energy. Yeah, it's entirely possible that this guy grabs a hold of something. People forget his early run. Not that they're good guys, but... The submission went over Alex Nicholson. He just breaks his jaw like nothing. It's a face crank. He's like, snap, there goes your jaw. Ian Kudalaba, you know, submits him with a nice little arm triangle choke. And then Nikita Krylov. Well, that, that one aged quite well. Nikita Krylov's still a contender in the division. And he sub submits him with a first-round guillotine. The Peruvian necktie over Jimmy Crute. He's an opportunistic submission guy. Almost all of these submissions are generally early into the fight. Once he gasses out, I don't want to question his heart. He's a fighter. I'm not. He's obviously got 
bigger balls than I do. Plus, he's like 6'3". Obviously, he's got bigger shafts than I do probably as well. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. I got kid Misha. Do you got a kid? Fuck, he's got that. And a really hot wife. <laughs> kid Misha. Well, he's got to have something going against him. You know what? He's definitely got a bigger shaft than me because he's a big dude. I'll, I'll give him that. But I got bigger balls than him. Not because I'm a fighter, but because I've never been on steroids, right? So uh, <laughs> I think he can get the job done. Just he's going to have to get the job done early. I'm leaning towards Menafield inside the distance. But the safest way is these unders on the props. All right, let's just, let's just get on with the next one before we dive into that bag of worms that Cody just threw on us. But uh, we're going to go with this next one here. It's a 185-pound belt. Uh, you want to talk about violence, this is the fight for you. We got Dushko Todorovic going in as a minus 205 favorite. He's going up against the Beverly Hills Ninja. Jordan Wright is coming in at plus 175. Kind of easy to break this one down, right, Cody? But... I, the one thing I want to do is is give Jordan Wright the flowers that he deserves. Everybody thinks he's that meme guy, the can crusher that came into the industry is beating a, a record of guys, I think, who came like <laughs> yeah. 30%, not even maybe 5% win uh, rate uh, of the opponents that he beat before coming to the contender series. Gets starched by uh, a baked Alexander Hernandez who ended up uh, uh, testing positive for something. Uh, that happened within less than a minute. And everybody started memeing Jordan Wright after that. And he continues to build upon that meme called by getting knocked out in the UFC the way that he's been doing. But, like, let's give him his flowers. The guy's explosive. The guy's powerful. The guy's fast. And if he can land that power here against Todorovic, he could potentially find that chin and that win of his own. It's absolutely possible, especially in a fight like this where both guys throw big power. Both guys have shown uh, an ability to get their lights turned out. Either guy is live in this spot. So I'm not picking Jordan Wright to win, but I'm just trying to give him some 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 confidence trying to allow people to open their mind a little bit more thinking that he could be more alive not just putting Dushko Todorovic into all your parlays and thinking that's the way to win, uh, to win money in this fight the way to win money in this fight is what you'll be hearing from Cody very shortly but also even just targeting the under one and a half like I get that it's a little bit chalky now um, of course, best fight odds doesn't have it up, but I believe it's hovering around that minus 200 range. Um, probably one of the better ways to play it because we're going to expect this to be a car crash right off the jump, right? I know Jordan Wright took a grapple heavy approach in uh, uh, his second last fight, I believe it was. But still, I, I think that he knows that he could take advantage of the striking defense liabilities of Dusko Todorovic as you know, Dushko likes to fight with his hands down a lot. And as long as you can get to his chin quicker than he can pull it back, you might likely be able to find that chin and put him out in this spot. Uh, and Jordan Wright is absolutely allowed to do so. Now, FanDuel currently is holding uh, the under one and a half at minus 260. So maybe more of a parlay piece than anything. But I think both guys can definitely find the finish early in the spot. I, I, it's without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll leave Cody with the, the the prop that he wants to draw for this one. I think it's the juiciest one to take because I don't expect this fight to go long at all. No matter who wins, it's going to happen in round one. I will lean Dushko ever so slightly, but do not count out Jordan Wright. That guy is nasty in the clinch. Go back and watch some of his fights. The guy just throws knees with absolute ill intent, has some beautiful elbows that he can land from those positions as well. And with somebody who has shown chin deficiencies as Dushko Todorovic has had, Jordan Wright is absolutely live to get the dub in this spot. But the under one and a half, as chalky as it is, probably my favorite prop for this matchup specifically, other than the one that Cody's about to drop for you guys. Cody, 
What do you think about this matchup? And what's that special prop that you're waiting to drop on these guys? Yeah, so some books are offering the like what rounds are going to end in. And the first round, uh, being it's the under on one single round, is uh, like sitting at plus 460. So it's a big, big plus money price tag. And what you need is violence right off the hop, which I think you're going to get out of this. Jordan Wright at his best is a quick starter, a guy that likes to get the pounce on you, throws head kicks, throws big strikes, uh, trained by Anthony Hardonk, once upon a time a UFC heavyweight in his own right, known for those big leg kicks. I feel like Jordan Wright is a work in progress because he's fought so many guys that were green, but he has an aggressive fight style. The Ike Villanueva fight is a cut stoppage, but then he follows that up with that win over Jamie Pickett, a KO victory over a guy that's shown to have pretty decent enough durability. I feel like Wright is capable of landing that big shot. Flip side to that, he can't exactly take much of a punch. I mean, we've seen him uh, in the Joaquin Buckley fight, the Anthony Hernandez fight. Uh, he gets hit, he topples over. Last time out against Marc-Andre Berrio, Oh, look at this. Yes, he works out with Anthony Hardock. Shout out, former UFC heavyweight. He also works out with, shout out, former UFC light heavyweight, Vladimir Matichenko. And he gets a couple takedowns. But he sticks his head right into a Marc-Andre Barrio guillotine choke. And like to me, that was super concerning. His wrestling looked a lot better, but his jiu-jitsu looked pretty soft. And Dusko Todorovic, uh, to my knowledge, is a BJJ black belt. So... I'm a little bit worried that even if he does get on top, he's getting caught with something. The main thing is if he keeps it striking and gets a quick jump on him, he could legitimately knock out Dusko. If he gets taken down and Dusko ends up on top of him, he's likely getting finished by Dusko. In both scenarios, you're getting some straight up violence out of this one. <clears throat> Dusko seems like that easy pick this week. Like, oh, everyone doesn't like Jordan Wright and uh, Dusko's going to beat him. But yeah, I'm seeing everything you're saying. He's a defensive liability. He keeps his chin way up in the air. Uh, he's someone that at times could take punches, but. Dude got hit like 104 times against Teddy Ash, 108 times, I think, against Teddy Ash on the Contender Series. The Puente Soleriano fight, everything that he threw hit him, and everything completely dropped him to the ground. And then, of course, his last time against Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, that elbow completely rearranges him. I don't feel comfortable with him going in there with a big slugger like Jordan Wright that might bring that pressure for three, four minutes. So I think Jordan Wright is live, just like you're saying. And as much as I'm like, no way, I would never consider pulling the trigger on a Jordan Wright Greasy underdog. This card's going to have some greasy underdogs coming through. And keep in mind something, my friend. Okay? This is the Beverly Hills Ninja. Now, of course, you've seen the movie Beverly Hills Ninja. It wasn't like Haru was a fucking fast starter either. He sucked in the beginning. In fact, he sucked pretty much through 85% of the movie until they messed with his brother. And then he turned up. Guy got skill. This guy's very similar. Slow starter. Doesn't look like... Uh, He's you know, going to be all that much. But at 31 years old, quick, athletic, big body, I feel like he's still making improvements. And he's going to have his moment where he goes out there and saves Sally Jones, and the movie was actually pretty good, right? Rotten Tomatoes might tell you otherwise. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> I think he's live. Live as an underdog, but I think your best way of just attacking straight-up violence, under one and a half, fight ends in one round. If you were going to take right, of course, you're going to take right by knockout, probably knockout. And one round, you're juicing it up. And the flip side of that, if you're taking Dusko, not faulting you. I think he can win this fight just as much as Wright can. But if you're taking him, don't play that straight up chalk. Take him inside the distance as well. So are you saying that we should push uh, Dusko Todorovic to mess with Anthony Hardonk or something like that? Like, is that what you're saying? Like, that is the key to Jordan Wright winning this fight? The best way I can say it, <laughs> I, I already used the analogy yesterday on Dogger Pass. But if you didn't watch Dogger Pass, I, I'll say it again, because this is the best way I could say it, right? My buddy Brandon Vokey, he had that UFC video game and EA Sports MMA and shit. And like, he's, he's a hemophiliac. He can't go outside and play sports. He'll die. He played the game all the time. As a result, it was fucking good, right? So I'd go over and we'd play and I'd lose every time. So eventually I'd be like, bro, 
no takedowns. You're not allowed to take me down anymore. If we, we're just going to stand and bang. UFC video game, only stand and bang. He'd be like, okay. Then he'd kick my ass. So then to make it fair, I'd be like, bro, it's an only stand and bang. You're not allowed <laughs> to block. I can block and strike. You can't block. So he'd be like, okay. And then it was even. Because even though he was way better than me, had way more skill than me, he could not block, right? That was like the great difference maker. It evened it up. I could At any point, I could land some shit because he wasn't blocking. That's Dusko Todorovic in a nutshell. Dude's got talent. Dude's got a lot of talent. Good cardio, good jiu-jitsu, decent striking. He doesn't block. How can you get away with that, man? You know what you're going to end up being like? Eddie Wineland. And what happened to him once his chin Ooh. went? Same shit that's happened to Dusko. You can't just fight with your hands down hang out in the pocket oh my god all i'm saying is guys like that do it to themselves so when you get big um favorite statuses or when you get in this case it's like what minus 165 minus 170 minus 200 oh did it oh geez what did it open at oh regardless whenever you get minus 200 on a guy like dusko that fights the style he does you're setting yourself up for disaster i like those durable guys that can take a beating if need be and persevere to the other side if you've got you know durability issues if you're prone to get knocked out if you're prone to get tired get taken down and get submitted it's hard to have a real strong investment in them jordan wright might not be no good but that no good that explosive three minutes of coming at you that might be all it takes cloudbed is holding a, a special prop for this matchup uh, jordan wright to land the first knockdown plus 135 minus 160 on dushko not bad you know what i mean both guys are live to land a knockdown right off jump and you're going to give me plus money on one of the guys, I'm okay with taking the plus money there, personally. Yeah, yeah. No, I feel the same way. I feel like if Jordan Wright knocks down Dusko, he's going to knock out Dusko. So might yeah, as well just yeah. take the right back KO prop, right? But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's the kind of fight where you could get a knockdown on each side. Like, Dusko, we've seen him in the Soriano fight. Like, he went down and he got back up. And the first time, I was like, damn. It looks like he regallowed himself. And then there's like a short little shot with his rock him again. It was like, nah, he, he never got quite back. Like he never quite got with it. Like he was just perennially stunned the entire time. Now the Gregory Rodriguez fight while he lasted the distance against a tough guy like Robocop. Yeah, that one's a lot more grappling related. Again, he's, he's a fine grappler. His grappling is not the problem. It's if he stands up with somebody and he allows them to hit him, I'm not feeling great about it. I can see him winning. For sure, I can see him winning. I can see right shocking people and cashing as the underdog. But again, in both scenarios, we hit in that under. We hit in that fight ends in the first round. I love it. All right, let's get to this next fight. Very curious about your thoughts on this one. We got a flyweight bout between one of my favorite fighters in the UFC right now, Raw Dog Brandon Royval, going up against Askar Askarov. In terms of odds, as you would expect, minus 240 on Askar Askarov and plus 200 the return on Brandon Royval. Now, last time around that we saw Askarov in the cage, he fumbled his opportunity to get a title shot by losing to Kai Car France back in March. Uh, could not get the takedowns. Kai Car France did a good job of keeping this fight upright, you know, threatening with uppercuts and knees and using his movement very well, really landing the more meaningful and impactful shots against Askarov. Now, Askarov did have some success in that second round where I believe he controlled the majority of that round off the back uh, or just on the back of uh, Kai Car France. But Kai did a very good job of keeping him at distance now i'm not expecting the same thing here from roy val to keep him at distance this fight is going to get into the grappling realm no matter what if Askarov wants this fight on the ground he will get this fight on the ground because brandon roy val's takedown defense no bueno but that's where roy val pretty much thrives as well he's very awkward and unorthodox off of his back he's very active 
excuse me, uh, very active, throws up elbows. He he makes his opponent work from on top. And one thing from Askarov that I've started to notice is like his control really isn't the greatest when he gets these guys on the ground. Opponents are able to get back to their feet. They're able to scramble and they're making it very difficult for Askarov to establish that, that top control and that top pressure that he used to do in the ACB days. You know, the, the one fight that kind of, like kind of sold me on him was the the Joseph Benavides fight in a sense where I thought that Benavides was like one of the best scramblers the UFC had ever seen. But at that point in time, his age really started to catch up with him, right? That was the back end of Benavides's career. And we saw Askarov beat him to every single position in every single scramble. That gave me some respect for Askarov. But then you see even performances after that where he really can control his opponents. He's very much struggling to assert his dominance in those fights. Now, Overall, he's likely the better fighter here, but it's always that wild card that, you know, if anybody watches uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, he's the Charlie Day character in this, in this, in the fight game because he just goes in there and just does wild shit. Yeah, I mean, he gets rocked by Kai Car France. He throws a spinning back elbow and he rack, rocks Kai Car France himself and then eventually finds a submission. Like he introduces crazy chaos that fighters have so much trouble keeping up with and i think that askarov might fall victim to that here right i don't feel comfortable with askarov at minus 240 sure there is a realm where he might be able to to get top position long enough for in certain spots where he can land some good shots from on top and look good for the judges but i really think that roy Val is going to make it very difficult for him to assert that top position whether it's throwing up submissions whether it's you know uh diving for for the leg when he's on bottom and he gets his feet on the hips of askarov and pushes him up and then just tries to turn it into his own reversal or even get some control time of his own i wouldn't even be surprised if roy Val gets the back of askarov and just backpacks him like askarov did against kai car france Main thing that I'm saying here, that's a bunch of information you guys took in for me. Anything can happen in a Brandon Roy Val fight, which is why I always think he's a live underdog at plus 200. I could see him getting some spots here. I can see him getting some decent enough control time to get the judge's decision in this fight. I, I haven't pulled the trigger on him yet. I'm considering it. You know, when I first tape started this fight, he was down at plus 155. Now he's all the way up at plus 200. So maybe I might be more, in, you know, have more of an incentive to take a shot on him here. But his decision prop at plus 600 is not too shabby either. I know he's a, a finish-based fighter, but Askarov's going to be a tough guy to put out. But he might be a guy that he could get some positions on where he could control him. So, uh, like, I see some people talking about Roy Val's submission. That could be live. That's plus 500. Uh, Roy Val by by decision, like I said, is around plus six hundred. I'm gonna lean decision just a smidge, but man, this 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 is a wild fight. I could completely understand why people are taking a, a plus two hundred shot here on Roy Val. So prediction will be Roy Val. I'm gonna say Roy Val by decision, but uh, if you like him at all, just take the plus two hundred. There's there's no need to get mixed up with the with props in in this matchup, especially if you like the underdog. Uh, Cody, am I? Do you think my, my fandom of Raw Dog is coming into my analysis here, or do you think he's a live underdog as well? Oh, dude, listen, he's a fan favorite the way he goes out. It's crazy fight style. You mentioned the Kai Car France fight, which is lunatic. They both drop each other. He grabs a submission win. The fight with Brandon Moreno, I, I thought he looked pretty good in the first little bit, and then eventually taken down, dislocates his shoulder. He always has these spots against people, but he also there's also a lot of like uh, negativity there. The Rogerio Bountrian fight, he got taken out eight times and got controlled for just under eight minutes in that fight. Most people didn't think he won. I did because I had him. <laughs> but like, bro, that was not a good fight at all, man. He kept giving up his back. He was not nearly as strong as Bontarine. 
there was issues there. The Matt Schnell fight, Matt Schnell had him knocked out standing. Bad mistake from Schnell to jump on top of him on the ground, right? But uh, his chin's not great. He's been dropped a whole lot of times. His his striking is very erratic. His his style is crazy. I think he's prone to getting hurt in there. He's prone to getting caught in bad spots. Uh, I don't know. He could win a fight on any given night, absolutely. But there's just there's not enough for me to be like, yeah, I got faith in this guy. I got confidence in this guy. Everybody that's fighting him is racking up multiple takedowns. I see no reason to believe why Askar Askarov couldn't do quite literally the exact same thing, right? He's fought in better wrestlers than this before. You mentioned Joseph Benavidez. He had taken him down five times. He took him down Brandon Moreno three times. Uh, he has a win over Alexander Pantoja. Pantoja's grappling, good, very good. Better than Brandon Roy Valls. He proved in that fight. It was like easily took his back in the second round and choked him out with a rear naked choke. I feel like Askarov's operating on a slightly higher level. So to me, Askarov can get takedowns whenever he wants. If he wants the takedown, it's going to be there. Now, Brandon Roy Valls throwing submissions up off his back. Yeah, but it's 2022, man. How many guys throw up submissions off their back and, and catch it clean over a guy that, by the way, never been submitted? Fought in guys in the division like Brandon Moreno, Alexander Pantoja, Joseph Benavidez. Never been submitted by those guys. You're, you're just going to catch him with a triangle off your back, with an armbar off your back, a little guillotine choke. Maybe. It's MMA. Anything can happen. I think we all know that. But like, is that likely? Like, I don't think so, man. Askarov is very technical. I think like the 90% of his pro wins are uh, that are inside the distance are, are all submission. He's more of a submission guy. He's got a slick submission game. And I think this will be grappler versus grappler. Only Askarov is going to be the one on top of him. So I think Askarov wins. That being said, it could be similar to the Bontrian fight, whereas one guy's getting the takedowns. The other guy is throwing up submissions. He doesn't have to stick them. You throw them up. You throw short elbows. You do stuff. Fight gets back standing. You scramble. You get back up. You land something big. You get taken back down again. You could grease out a controversial close decision by just doing more off of your back. But I, I just got to go with common thinking. And common thinking is guy on top generally gets the decision. And I, that's the same thing with Askarov. Far superior wrestling, good enough submission defense. Should just rinse and repeat and rack up takedowns on him. So that's, uh, that's, that's where I decided to go. Fight goes to decision, minus 110. Not too bad of a spot, especially considering... Like I think we're breaking it down pretty much similarly in the fact that this will likely take place on the ground, but it's going to come down to who does more in those situations. I don't know if the finish will transpire. But. Yeah, I, honestly, I thought about taking the Askarov by decision at plus 125 as one of my top plays this week. My concern is, like, again, when you watch... Oh, dude, dude, almost all of them, right? The Tim Elliott fight, it's like there's some sticky spots. The Kai Kara France fight, he gets dropped twice. The Brandon Moreno fight, he dislocates his shoulder. The Pantoja fight, he gets choked out early in the second. The Bontrian fight, Bontrian's not a finisher. He just ragdolled him around there, but that one's not indicative of your durability got any better. And then the Matt Schnell fight, dude, he almost got knocked out like 30 seconds into the fight. He has got durability issues, 100%. And whereas Askarov's got six fights in the UFC, they're all by decision. Common thinking is it's going to be a decision. Common thinking is the reason I had Tisha Torres by decision over Sam Hughes. And let me tell you, <laughs> shit, shit just sometimes happens. Yeah. This could be one of them. It's not that Askarov is suddenly a great finisher. It's Roy Val finds a way to lose inside the distance most of the time. So I don't know. Take it what, with what you will. That's the reason I didn't go higher on the Askarov by decision at plus 125. I think I would just take, um, well, Askarov money line is pretty big as it is. If you want to juice this thing up a little bit, I don't know. It's sticky. It's sticky. But what you said, fight goes the distance. I don't mind that because it's only a slightly worse price than the Askarov yeah. by decision. And it covers you the other side in case you get screwed on a split. So 
I prefer that actually. That would be my best prop. Your synopsis of uh, like the the quick uh, Brandon Roy Val fights that you decide like it's the perfect description of how this guy fights. It's just fucking chaotic. Like you just Big don't know time. what's gonna happen sometimes. So we'll see how it goes with uh, Askarov this time around. The only cr thing crazier than his style, and that's why he's got the name Raw Dog because it's a bad idea. Take it from a guy that just had a kid, man. Bad <laughs> idea. It's dangerous being a Raw Dog, and Brandon Roy Val he takes those risks. So. Good on him, but hopefully not this Saturday because I wouldn't mind cashing an ass crash crop ticket. <laughs> All right, let's get to the co-main event now. It's uh, another four, uh, Factory X uh, Muay Thai product similar to Brandon Roy Val. This one takes place in the bantamweight division, and the reason that the weight class is very important for this matchup is because it's going to be the bantamweight debut of veteran Cub Swanson, who turns 39 next month. He's going up against, uh, can we still call Jonathan Martinez a prospect? He's had you know a wealth of experience inside the UFC now, but he's definitely the younger of the two. Uh, we got minus 205 on the Dragon, Jonathan Martinez, and plus 175 on Cub Swanson. Now, Jonathan Martinez has always been one of my favorite fighters to back, even at a chalky price. I don't pay, mind paying minus 200 on him because he's somewhat of a reliable fighter. We know what we're going to get out of him. Combination striking, stay safe on the outside, establishes his, his leg kicks, whether it's to the body or to the to the head, and that allows him to kind of just work and operate at that range that he needs to so he can throw his combinations. Um, we saw a couple of takedowns out of him in his last fight against Vince Morales, although he only, I think he only chalked up about 40 seconds of control time that night. Like Morales was able to get back to his feet pretty quickly. But I think that's just trying to show... Uh, uh, a, a new wrinkle in his game, right? Trying to show the development in his game. But I think he would be better served just sticking with his bread and butter. And that's his striking. That's where he does his best work. Now, he's not really the biggest puncher, right? He's not really finishing anybody. It's very tough. Like the guys that he is finishing, Frankie Science, who's well beyond his peak years at that point in time. And then he finished that Chinese guy who, you know, didn't really have the longest UFC career either. Cub Swanson, you know, for some reason, I feel like there's this narrative out there that he's like a chinny and washed fighter. Maybe more washed than chinny, but still a competitive guy. Like, he hasn't really been put out. Like, when he loses, he's losing via body kick to Giga Chikadze, or he's losing via submission to Brian Ortega. Like, that's the way he's losing. I can't see a round where Martinez goes out there and puts a punch on him or a kick on him that's going to put Cub Swanson out. Maybe the drop down in weight could make that a little bit harder uh, for a Cub Swanson to take. Like it might be uh, more viable for Martinez to get a finish because of that weight cut. But I think that we'll see the, the veteran in Cub Swanson. I'm sure he's done the test cuts. I'm sure he's done everything that's required possible to make this a proper cut for him to 135 pounds. The guy's a veteran. Why would He's coming off a win. Why would he go down to 135 pounds uh, if he didn't think he can confidently do it? Right. Um, uh, not similar to Misha Serkinov, who we talked about earlier, who was just on loss after loss after loss, looking for another way to, to change things up by going down a weight class. Cub is doing it for a different reason. Now, in terms of the striking, Cub a little bit more unorthodox than Jonathan Martinez, but he has some sneaky power as well, which he showcased in his uh, his last two wins, right? Obviously, starches Darren Elkins, doesn't even look competitive from the jump, and then he beats uh, Daniel Pineda as well by finish. Jonathan Martinez, although his only, I believe his only loss via finish in the UFC was to Davey Grant, has shown some durability issues, right? 
Alejandro Perez heard him on a couple uh, occasions. Uh, we saw some great composure from Martinez to stay in that fight and obviously win that fight. But like it's starting to get sketchier and sketchier betting Jonathan Martinez as a big favorite. And now he's going up, in my opinion, one of his stiffest tests to date is most experienced test to date in Cub Swanson. Cub has that weird striking style where he could potentially find that chin of Jonathan Martinez and make him pay for it. And considering this seeming newfound confidence that Cub Swanson has been fighting with over his last four fights in which he's a three and one uh, record that he has, he might be willing to throw those 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 bungalows and throw those bricks and maybe try to find that chin of Jonathan Martinez, which I think he can do. Metrically speaking, these guys are exactly the same, right? They have the same height, same reach. Jonathan Martinez is another guy who struggles to make the 135-pound weight class as well. So that might be another storyline that we should look at for the weigh-ins tomorrow. But skill-wise, I think Cub has all the skills in the world still at this age to compete against a guy like Jonathan Martinez and possibly find that knockout and get the win and get his hand raised here. So I like the money line. I'm going to wait until the weigh-ins tomorrow to see, make sure, you know, he... I'm not expecting him to have, like, a smile on his face and be full of joy as he's stepping on the scale, but I just want to see what we are getting from him as he steps on the scale. But if I like what I'm seeing there, I'll likely take a shot on his money line, but I've already sprinkled his KO prop, which is plus 500. I think that line is mispriced, considering how successful I think he can be in fighting that chin of Jonathan Martinez, who, again, has shown durability issues. And although only knocked out once... He has been hurt in multiple fights in the past, and Cub Swanson is another guy that can replicate that. So give me the veteran here. I don't care that he's creeping up on 40 years old. I think he can find that chin of Jonathan Martinez and put him out. Plus 500, KO, sign me up. Cody, am I am I jacking off Cub Swanson a little bit too much here, or do you think he has a shot to pull off the upset too? Yeah, he's another legend like Hafele Sunset. Like, he never got to that title fight, but it's like, gangster, fought all the best guys. <laughs> and I think he's got one last hurrah left in him. Could potentially pull it off with Jonathan Martinez. A lot of the focus is on Cub Swanson's weight cut. Can Cub Swanson make 135 pounds? Here's my concern. Can Jonathan Martinez make 135 pounds? Guy's not a good weight cutter, man. Not a good weight cutter. You brought up the Frankie Sines fight. That's the best he's ever looked, I thought. He missed weight by five pounds for that fight. Came in at 140 and a half. Red flag. Next fight against Thomas Almeida. And you look good in that fight. Is at 145. He actually came in at 146. Davy Grant goes back to 135. First round looked decent. Second round, Grant clips him, puts the pressure on him, knocks him out. Is that Jonathan Martinez has a bad chin? Is that Jonathan Martinez had a bad weight cut? <clears throat> he missed weight in a prior fight by almost five pounds. Bad indication. Now his return to 35 after the Almeida fight, and he's knocked out, cause for concern. Now, you'll see a tabology will tell you they had three canceled fights. But if you check that Marcel Rojo fight, you'll see Martinez withdraws due to a botched weight cut. Botched weight cut is the reason why he pulled out of the Marcel Rojo fight. So now you've got a precedent here. You missed weight against Frankie Sines pretty bad. You've pulled out of a fight during fight week because you're having a bad weight cut. You got knocked out the last time you made 135. Then he beats that lavish V-Leaf, took the fight on like a week's notice at 35. But then he fights Alejandro Perez at 145 pounds. Now, Alejandro Perez has never fought in the UFC at 145. He's a career 35. And Martinez is supposed to be a 35er. His last fight against uh, Lavishvili was at 35. Why is he going back to 145 pounds? Because that's where he feels the best. Now, Alejandro Perez drops him in the first round. He was kind of off balance. Like, he threw a knee up the middle and he got conked with an overhand. But... He almost got saved by the bell, dude. Like, if that round still goes, he's got Perez on top of him raining down punishment, whereas the bell rings and he's able to get up and clear his head. So part of me is like, 
can the guy is the guy compromised? Is his chin great? Is he going to drop down to 135? Is he going to have a, another botched weight cut? He's not a prospect anymore, but he is 28 years old. He is getting a little bit bigger. He is getting a little bit older. He is still in the fill in that frame. I got a I got a nagging suspicion that if he has a bad weight cut and Cub safely makes the weight and Cub makes this a war and Cub touches his chin, I he knocks him out. I think he can knock him out absolutely. Now here's the great thing about Cub Swanson. Unless your name's Giga Chikots, who in the last like five years has fought Cub Swanson and come out unscathed? You know, Darren Elkins got knocked out. Daniel Pineda, it was a beating through the minute and 52 into the second round. Like that fight went less than seven minutes and Cub dropped him twice, landed already good amount. Cron Gracie, 135 significant strikes landed on Cron Gracie. Shane Burgos, 129 significant strikes landed on Shane Burgos. You had better hope you catch him early with a submission or hurt him to the body like Giga Chakots. Because if you don't, Cub gets into wars. That's what he's known for. He's killer Cub. He's got a reputation. He's won fight of the year awards. He's the man. He will bring the pain. And then Jonathan Martinez's case, he doesn't got that big power to just turn the lights off. He doesn't have any submission ability to just submit him. So chances are he's going to get in a dragged out brawl. And if that's the case, I think Cub lands something on him. So listen, I'm not faulting you for the Cub Swanson. I think if you want to juice it up, obviously you can say Cub Swanson by knocking him. It might catch him. Maybe he just wins a couple of the decisions. If anything, I feel like he's going to knock him. But I'm kind of going with this fight ain't going to decision. Fight doesn't go the distance as of sitting at about even money. I know Martinez isn't a big finishing guy, but he does have nasty leg kicks. And I feel like with Cub on a bad weight cut, uh, 38 years old, new new weight class, maybe if you worked out his leg, you'd really hurt him, batter him, immobilize him, maybe catch him something. Maybe he throws a knee up the middle, maybe. But I just feel like with Cub Swanson at this point, it's going to be kill or be killed. He's going to come forward. He's going to get the job done or he's going to die trying. His fights are known for entertainment, action-packed, back and forth. And with Martinez, when he gets into back and forth, those are the fights he loses. He needs one-way traffic. He needs to be the hammer the entire way through. Even the Andre Ewell fight, people are like, man, robbery, robbery. It's like, man, he got outstruck like 80 to 60. What do you want? Like he's just walking into punches the whole time. Against a guy like Cub that's got the uh, the volume, I just I think it's possible. He's an aged veteran. I hate backing those aged veterans, but uh, I, I I would be lying if I said that Cub Swanson's a write-off this week. I do think he's got a legitimate chance, but I'm going to go with fight doesn't go the distance to even money as my best player. I like it. I'm glad that we're all kind of on the same page there. And I'm glad that you kind of hammered home the point more about Cub kind of thriving in wars and dragging fights into wars because I don't think that's where Jonathan Martinez is comfortable at all. And I think that's where we'll see Cub uh, absolutely thrive in this spot. So hopefully he comes through for the good guys. We'll see how it goes. All right. Appreciate the 110 live viewers that we have on this Thursday evening. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below if you haven't already because I'm taking a peek at it, guys, and we're less than 50% of likes compared to live views. And that's no bueno for me. Let's get that up there if we can. Appreciate everybody that's checking out the content and hanging with us on this Thursday evening as well. Also, make sure you guys check out the All-Stars app. Link is in the description below to download it. It's free. Nothing you got to pay for, no paywalls, none of that stuff. Just hit that download and you can customize your feed as much as you want. And uh, yeah, I promise you likely won't be using any other apps to get your MMA news or even look up odds as well as they have a great uh, platform for that too. So make sure you guys please check that out. All right, Cody, let's get to this flyweight main event. Again, a lot of people were banging the drum to be like, hey, Askarov and Roy Val should be the main event. But 
after doing a little bit of digging, I kind of understand why they ended up on this. So main event, we got the Mexican Alexa Grasso coming in as a minus 225 favorite. She's going up against the Brazilian Viviani Araujo, who's coming in at plus 190. And uh, the reason I believe that they decided to make this the main event is they're trying to get that extra Alexa Grasso push, right? She's on a three-fight winning streak. They're looking for contenders at flyweight. She might be the next one, especially if she's able to get a win here. And uh, I think they're still trying to crack into that Mexican market, Cody. Remember when they expected Cain Velasquez to be the guy for them and they expected uh, even Goyoto Perez to be the guy for them as well. Nobody has really been able to smash into the Mexican market. Yeah, and Brandon Moreno, he won a USA Brand, title. Well, Brandon Moreno, too. Uh, well, they, actually, yeah, now, nowadays, now they're finally actually getting that steam that they were hoping to get with Kane from back in the day. But I think Alexa Grasso is another name they can add to Brandon Moreno to uh, be that big Mexican star that they need to, you know, have more fans from there and have more fighters come out from there uh, that they can really market towards that uh, South uh, South American community, especially Mexico specifically. And Alexa Grasso has all the makings of being a legit star considering her skill set which i think is top notch and the where she's ranked right now she is maybe a fight away from a title shot especially considering that valentina has pretty much scrubbed out the rest of uh the the top five to top ten of that division although if they made tyler santos rematch i definitely watch that fight because that's the closest fight she's had outside of an amanda nunez fight well, now yeah, let's watch tyler santos rematch people are clamoring for that hey competitive wise that was a close fight tyler santos oh, probably won that fight too Come yeah, on, you know Cody. what? You know what? Cl close fight, but just like not a great fight. I like, think the best marketing wise, there, you're right. Marketing wise, no, you're you're absolutely right. It's no Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prohaska by any means. But in terms of seeing Valentina actually go up against some adversity and possibly even have lost that fight, uh, that's what I. That's the marketing that I was expecting. But go ahead. Yeah, I I I think they're like Valentina. You're gonna go to 135 and fight Amanda Nunez because we've got nothing else to run back there. Maybe they do a, a trilogy match with Juliana Pena. But listen, I know she won the first fight, but like based on the second fight, do people want to see that one run back? She got dropped 17 times. Like, <laughs> like well, she broke the punch stats. They were like, yeah, it yeah. doesn't actually. I can't. There's only it's only double digits. Like I I can't fill in a triple digit knockdown. Um. I don't know. I don't know. I would say the best case for someone like Grosso is allow Valentina to vacate, and then you're going to need a new face yeah. for the division, right? And then, yeah, perfectly hanging in the in the wings. I like it. And I think that this is a good matchup for her to you know position herself in that spot as well, uh, stylistically speaking. Now, she's a great striker, uses her movement very well, has some good output, and she's very active off of her back. You know, I mean, I remember watching back, I believe it was the Macy Barber fight where Barber gets into the ground, but Alexa is actively working to throw up submissions. She's actively to, working to get her feet on the hips, push uh, Barber off her and get back to her feet. And I love that about a fighter. I love a fighter that just does not settle on the mat at all. Like they don't even take a, a breath like, oh, okay, I got I got taken down. Let me breathe through this and then I'll try to figure out my way to work back to the feet. Grouse was like, no. I'm taken down. That means I'm in a bad position. The judges are probably not liking what they're seeing from my perspective. Let me get back to my feet or at least try to pull up a submission that I can, uh, you know, make my opponent work, uh, essentially. And I think that's what we're going to get here. Just onslaught of, of combination striking. Uh, her chin looks great. She has good striking defense as well, in my opinion. And Arujo, she'll likely be live for the first maybe round, round and a half or so. But she has shown instances where she starts to fall off, where her gas thing starts to get the better of her. Now, not to the point of of a 
you know, Derek Lewis, hands on knees, hold over or anything like that. But still to the point where I feel like Alexa Grasso could take advantage of that and, and just continue to put the pressure on there, maybe put the pedal to the metal, you know, training at altitude and all that will definitely help her in a spot like this. And I think that she'll be able to turn on those burners in the championship and main event rounds and one, either really start to take over and win a decision victory or even finish uh, Arujo probably in the fourth or fifth round. The prop that I'm liking the most, and this is courtesy of FanDuel, is the uh, round four, round five uh, decision prop, where you can bet on uh, all all three of those combined. And it comes out to minus 115. It's pretty much even money rather than the minus 230 that you're going to be paying on the money line. I would be slightly surprised if she pulls off a victory within the first three rounds. But uh, the deeper this fight goes, the higher chances I'm definitely giving Grasso. And lastly, also a solid live betting spot that you can take on Grasso because there are spots that Arusha could take advantage of her in this fight early, right? She has big power in her hands. She has a decent enough grappling game as well where she might be able to find some success. And you might be able to get Grasso like minus 150, minus 140 going into the later rounds. You might be able to pull the trigger there then too. But uh, I do like uh, Grasso here. I loved her money line at minus 200. I still love her money line at minus 230. I just think she's way more skilled and has way more tools and the better cardio here uh, against a girl like Viviani Arujo. So... Let's go Grasso, round four or five decision, but specific prop if people don't have access to the round four or five decision, uh, just by decision, which I think is sitting around plus 120 because, I mean, I, I don't want to shit on Arujo's gas tank too much. So I might be over-exaggerating ex it here a little bit, but I think that uh, Grasso's, uh, you know, full body of work will be way more than what Viviani could do over 25 minutes. So let's go uh, Grasso, decision plus 120. What are you thinking here, Cody? Am I too high on Grasso, or is uh, Arujo do, uh, uh, good enough here to 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 get the upset? No, I gotta agree with you and Alfred. The entire time you're talking about Grasso, Alfred's behind you. He's like, yeah, man, I'm, he's barking in the background, giving you support. And then as soon as you start talking about Arujo, he just like went quiet all of a sudden. So uh, I, I gotta go with that as well. Listen, it's tough for me. Just had a daughter, and now we got a women's main event. And then last week or two weeks ago, we had women's main event. Mackenzie Duran, same thing. You got this grappling. It's like, oh man, the grappling, the fight hits the ground. Like it's a five round fight. It's who's going to be able to fight for the 25 minutes. Who's going to be able to land the strikes. That was a weird fight to score anyways, but I got to go with Grosso. I know the favorite lost the last time out Dern. I got to go with Grosso to, uh, to redeem and get the job done. Narrative aside, I know what you're saying. UFC's probably looking to give her a marketing push. And I do agree with that. I think she's talented. She's young. She's getting better. And I think that this is a, a good enough fight for. I really think that the five rounds, that's going to be the key here. I mean, you got someone in, in Viviana Arroyo that cardio problems or not is that she's never fought into the fifth round before. And I think a lot of her game is based on like that big strength early. A lot of her fights, she looks good early. And then it's not that she's necessarily fatiguing. It's that she coasts after she banks a couple early rounds. I don't think you're going to be able to do that against Grosso. Obviously, someone who's uh, spent a lot of time working on her own grappling game, but also just probably figures to have that striking advantage with the volume. Volume's going to be big key to me. Vivian Arroyo, as talented as she is, she's very low on, on the volume count. And I think someone like Grosso, especially over 25 minutes, will slightly pull ahead. When you look at Vivian Arroyo, because we can only really judge her on these three-round fights, but the Alexis Davis fight, she flat out gassed in the third round, lost the third round in all three judges' scorecards, and overall got outstruck 68-67 to 67 against Alexis Davis. That was a bad third round. The Jessica I fight, she flat out gasses out in the third round after having a good opening frame and uh, definitely has cardio issues, got outstruck 98-56. to 56. The Montana De La Rosa fight, she gasses out in the third round, loses the third round to Montana De La Rosa, got handily outstruck in the third round to Montana De La Rosa, and, and officially got outstruck in the fight 85 to 82. 
to Montana De La Rosa. That's three straight fights where she's actually been outstruck by her opponent all three times. And three straight fights where you can noticeably see her body language changing and her fatiguing as the fight goes on. Now she beats Roxanne Monteferry. Well, that one's kind of like one of those, it don't take much. So she looked <laughs> good there. Caitlin Chukagan fight. She got, you know, Caitlin Chukagan's a very difficult opponent. I thought she looked better in that fight, but all the same, you saw that there was levels to that and she wasn't quite there. And then the Andrea Lee fight her last time out. Andrea Lee knocked her down, had some early success, and then wouldn't you know it, tired out herself and allowed Vivi to take over. She's talented. She's strong. She's physical. She's got all that. She's also 35 years old. I don't think she's going to make a whole lot of overall improvements to her game, especially not to her cardio. So this being a five round, it's very key to me. I would say minus 220 for Grosso straight up. Don't like it. But that price will improve after the first round, maybe even the first round and a half. I see Vivian Arroyo being tough early. And same thing with um, Valtia Shevchenko. Yeah, her last fight. It's like, oh man, could you have gotten a much better price on her after a round or two? For sure. Look at the Jennifer Maya fight. Could you have gotten a much better price on her after the first round? Yeah, because Jennifer Maya actually won the first round there. Yeah, it's like sometimes you just got to let the fight marinate and then the world-class championship champion will overtake in those later rounds. I don't think Grosso is yet a world-class championship material fighter. However, I do think that those, those fourth and fifth round are going to be crucial for her. She won't be down 0-3 going into 4-5. and five. Worst case for us, she's down 2-1. to one, And I think she's going to persevere in those late rounds, get the volume, much bigger volume, uh, takedown defense, hopefully good enough to stuff more of the takedowns more often than not. If you do get taken down, get back up and just continuously make Vivi work. And if you do that, I think she's going to come away with the decision victory. So I'm going to go with uh, fight goes the distance, whatever the price is not on that is not very good. But Alexa Grosso by decision, you can get a pretty good price tag. Fight goes to decision currently hanging around minus 200, which is really is not that bad considering women's MMA standard. But five so round is the only yeah. thing but you're, you're right i mean this seems like it's earmarked to probably go 15 minutes just looking at the card uh piero rodriguez sam hughes is about minus 250 to go to the distance nick maximoff jacob malcoon's about minus 250 to go to the distance this is minus 200 but it's the extra 10 minutes that they got to go in there and fight right so i had grosso against joanne calderwood her last time out but like <laughs> i didn't think it was gonna go down like that she stubs her like that. like what yeah calderwood kind of seen better days and has lackluster submission defense i don't think vivian royal for 35 she's not over the hill she's not falling apart she's not regressing i just don't think that she's making a colossal amount of improvements fight to fight whereas with grosso there's no denying she's making improvements the barber fight yeah okay takedown defense looks soft there third round didn't look great uh, she almost caught her with a rear naked choke. Her grappling looked a lot better. You do see those improvements out of her. And of course, training in Mexico City, mile high in the air. Uh, that's really going to help come these five-round fight situations. So hopefully she's able to get the job done down the stretch. I love it. I love it. All right. Let's get to our three best prop bets, and then we'll wrap this bad boy up. I'll kick it off as I usually do. And whoops, there we go. All right, first one. I'm going to be going with Jacob Malkoon via decision, plus 200. I'm expecting this to be a closely contested grappling matchup between these two guys. Uh, I think Malkoon has just shown a tad more aggressiveness, a tad more pressure, and I think that could ultimately be the uh, the difference maker in this matchup. Once this fight does hit the ground, it will be 50-50 and it'll be a toss-up, but I'm, I think just that extra gear that we see from uh, Malkoon will be the difference maker in this matchup. But uh, whether you take his money line or this decision prop, I think you'll be cashing that ticket. 
regardless. Next up, I'm going to go with Swanson via KO, plus 500, just as me and Cody laid out. He likes to drag fights into wars. I don't think Martinez is comfortable in those spots, and that's how I think we'll see Swanson really start to thrive. So uh, give me that Swanson KO, plus 500. And lastly... I'm going to go with that uh, main event uh, prop that I dropped for you guys. It's only available on a couple books, but Grasso round four, round five decision is minus 115. If you're able to get access to that, I think that's a great bet. Um, even if you just take her decision prop at plus 120, I think that's probably the best like like traditional prop that you can bet on. Um, but I think there is possible finishing opportunities for her in round four and five. And in terms of those specific, like if you just want to bet those by themselves, Grosso round four plus 1800, Grosso round five plus 2200. I think they're worth a little bit of a sprinkle and uh, hopefully she cashes it for us. But there you guys go. Three of mine, Cody, let's get to yours. Yeah, we're gonna start off with a little decision prop. We got uh, Victor Henry coming in by decision at plus one twenty five again. I think he has got superior volume, takedown defense, good enough to keep the fight standing. He should be able to rack up some numbers, anyways, against Hafella Sunsau. I'm just hoping his son says chin's not all the way gone and he's able to take said beating for the 15 minutes and Victor Henry's going to cash that decision to get up plus 125. Moving on from that, we are going to hit up a, I know this one's probably not the most popular, but I like that price tag plus 210. Jackson versus Pete Rodriguez to get that over one and a half rounds. Mike Jackson's just like the laughing stock of MMA. Oh man, he's a photographer. He's not a real fighter. He's fighting CM Punk and Mickey Gall. All that stuff might be true, but what he showed me against Dean Barry is that he's not a complete walkover. Striking is his domain, and his cardio is good enough, and his evasiveness is good enough to maybe just survive a little bit. Rodriguez has done the same thing every single time. Smoke you out of there in the first round. Is he going to do that here? Entirely possible. If he doesn't, and Jackson fights the fight that he wants, he's going to be evading him the entire time, and I think there's some credit to that. So plus 105, the over one and a half at, at plus 210, to me, it's a good price tag. Finally, let's go for a big one here. And to me, again, I mean, it's going to be chaotic, but uh, Todorovic versus Jordan Wright fight ends in round one or essentially the under one round. Uh, yeah, plus 460. It's a big price tag. Todorovic is known to get finished quick. He keeps his chin weight up in the air. Can't take a great punch, but he's got some offensive power. Bad defense, good offense. Jordan Wright, no defense, but, but the only thing he might have a little smidget of is aggressive, big guy, power punching. If he tries to get that quick hop on him, I think his coaches are going to tell him, try to get a quick hop on this guy, um, catch him going off a slow start. I could think, see him getting the job done. That one coming in at plus 460. If for whatever you were thinking to yourself, dude, I'm not feeling this Mike Jackson thing whatsoever. It's a freak show fight. Not the kind of thing I'd want to have any money on. Scrap it. Scrap it and go with Tatsu Ritara by plus 325, plus 350 by submission. Again, this guy's a potent finisher. He's uh, coming off a decision win, and that's the reason you're getting such a good plus money price tag on something like a submission prop when he's a favored submission artist. So I think that there are a couple good spots on this card, good plus money on this card, and then overall it is considered a lower-level fight night. But there's at least four or five good money line favorites as well that you should be able to parlay together. And overall, it's a Saturday afternoon. Card starts at four o'clock. Should be an enjoyable afternoon. Unless you got a, a crying baby in your hair. There you guys go. Three best prop bets from both me and Cody. Uh, just throwing it out there. So that plus 460 for the fight end in round one. I'm seeing it on Bet Rivers. Uh, I'm not sure which other books are, are showing that. Uh, I just checked on FanDuel real quick. Fight to not start round two is hanging around minus 120, minus 130. So it might be a special for Bet Rivers. If you have it, take advantage of it. Probably the best way to go about it. You know what? Very possible because, again, with best my uh, book, Bovada, they're slow to releasing these props. Plus, I don't know. They've been such dicks to me lately. Whatever. <laughs> you, books never really want to be your friend, ultimately. No. But, but anyways, 
uh, it did seem like a very high price to me in that 460, considering this thing's very likely to end in one round. If you felt strongly about either side of it, maybe you would bet the either side to finish it in one round. But yeah, I think Paul Shaughnessy was all over this yesterday. He likes really the under two, the under one and a half. I would agree and take that under one and a half. And I think that this is a card as well between some of those decision props we talked about that are hitting at that minus 250 range, a Nick Maximoff type of example, a Piero Rodriguez type of example. You could parlay some of those with these like fight, don't go the distance and these complete violence matches. Yeah, I think that there's got enough pick and choose spots that you should be able to tie something together. There you guys go. All right. Um, that's pretty much a wrap on the show. I'll give Cody one last chance here to say anything he wants to say on the back end, and then I'll get us out of here. Cody, what do you got for the fans? Fuck all, bro. That's about it. I mean, uh, yeah, keeping busy, keeping on the grind. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to go out there and have a good Saturday night, get back in the wind calm, hit some props as well. And, yeah, that's it, right? Onwards and on. What, what's the expression? Onward, upwards and onwards? Upwards, upwards and onwards. And onwards. There we go. Yeah, that's all we're that's all we're doing, right? Of course, we put out the PRP, but now I think I'm gonna have like the Cami College Fund play, which is uh, something a little safe. Something a little safe. Build up that bankroll. Of course, Cami's uh, one eighth Native American, so she doesn't actually have to pay for college. Hey. <laughs> Ain't that dumb shit? I know. Marry a Native American person. That is the real <laughs> takeaway that you can have from this show. And uh, yeah, I'll leave you with that. So yeah, for I the hundred plus people that took their time out of their Thursday night. Thank you. Much appreciated. We always do like to see the support. And of course, with the All-Star giving us a, a sweet platform, letting us do our thing. Thanks to everybody. There you guys go. All right. Uh, make sure you guys follow us on Twitter as well. Myself at MMALOTN, Cody at CJ Saftik on Twitter. Uh, and you guys can follow us there for all of our uh, takes and, and funny tweets that we like to put out every now and then, as well as our commentary during the fights as well. We like to tweet every now and then as well. So please show us some support over there. Otherwise, we will see you guys next week for the big UFC 280 card. It is my birthday card as well. Literally on my birthday, my 31st birthday will be UFC 280. And what better gift than getting fights that start at 10 a.m. and then giving us a banger card like UFC 280 as well. Me and Cody will be breaking it down for you guys Thursday just around 5 p.m. Eastern as our normal time. Uh, but we'll obviously tweet out on that time. So hopefully we see you guys then. Until then, good luck on your best this weekend. And uh, hope we propped you up properly and we can put some extra money in your pockets this weekend. Good luck, folks. <laughs>